Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 185. We're recording this on Sunday, August 7th, 2022, at about 3.15 p.m. Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. How's it going today, guys? It's going excellent. I I have a, it's, it's Todd's t-shirt named after a pizza place. Ooh, no, no. no. It if is Dexter's watched, boat. Yeah, if you'd watch more Dexter. It says Slice of Life on it, which sounds like an amazing uh, pizza joint. Maybe the name of the pizza joint on Boy Meets World is what I was possibly thinking. Does that have a name? Chubbies. Chubbies, okay. yeah. I like Slice of Life better, although it sounds it, it, a little cultish. It's also a great name for the boat of a serial killer, so... Yeah, Slice of Life. That would have been probably a good movie title for a bland title that we talked about last week. <laughs> it would have been. It would have been. Way better than the Chubby's bland uh, pizza pizza name. It's more like a burger joint. But you don't have a slice of burger, though. That is true. <laughs> this is riveting. Riveting yeah. conversation we have going on right now. Well, okay, let's let's talk about this. So if Hannibal Lecter opened up a restaurant, I think Slice of Life is a, is not, you know, it doesn't have any anything French in it. Doesn't sound remotely, uh, you know, cosmopolitan enough. But uh, what would we? What would he name it? It should have been during the deep dive part. It should have been. It should yeah. have been. <laughs> we'll edit this out. An, an old an old friend is what you said, Terry. An old friend for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he's having. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I know, well, I, an old, I just an old friend, just like there. <laughs> an old friend, and it's a dinner dinner joint. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. I like it. An old friend. Well, Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm actually having not wine today. I'm having something called a Lewisburg hard cider from Lewisburg, Kansas. This was gifted to us. I have not had it yet. I'm going to take my first drink right now. Normally, not really a big hard cider type guy, but. This is 8.9%. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's it, it reminds you of uh, the Hell's Kitchen that is summer here in Kansas. And uh, it's it's enjoyable. Very nice. I like it. That's what I've been drinking recently is cider. It, it's a lot lighter and refreshing. And yeah, it just tastes like summer. It tastes like summer yep. in a bottle. Mm -hmm. All right, Todd. Uh, I'm drinking vodka seven up and I have some frozen fruit in there because it's really hot and uh, this sounded better than wine, like warm room temperature wine. Nice. And unfortunately nice. I drank my Chianti last week. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> A mistake, rookie mistake there, man. I know. All right. So, uh, I, I went to the brewery today and the Ridge Walker is celebrating their sixth anniversary right now. Um, so they have a special sixth anniversary beer. And so that's what I got. It is a blueberry wheat ale. And, uh, it, it's pretty refreshing too. Uh, wheats can be a little heavy, but this one's kind of light. It's got a really interesting color to it. And I'm drinking 
it's their sixth anniversary, but I'm drinking out of I, I got a fourth anniversary mug a couple years ago, so I'm drinking out of that. So happy birthday, Ridgewalker. But yeah. yeah. That looks like something you drink at Oktoberfest. Yeah, it's it's the blueberry it's a, gives that's it a that, man's, that slight that's a man's uh, mug right there. It's it like, is. It's like something uh you know Mads Mickelson would drink out of. You say blueberry wean, I'm just picturing a muffin. Like I'm like, how are you drinking that? It's good though. It's really good. The blueberry gives it a nice refreshing uh, side to it. All right. Well, uh, yes, make sure you are subscribing and rating, reviewing wherever you find your podcasts. Just like download all of the apps that do podcasts and subscribe on all of them. Maybe take turns on which one you listen to us to. I mean, that'd be that'd be kind of cool. Um, make sure you're catching everything we got going on. We've got our main show here. Uh, Daily Notes just released a new episode talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And uh, and then you've got the sideshow going on as we're working our way through Barry. So uh, make sure you're checking all of that out. Let's talk about what we've been watching this week. And we are going to start with Todd. Okay, uh, I'm going to talk about a TV show I started watching. It actually just came out on Friday on Netflix. It is called The Sandman. Uh, and is uh, created by David S. Goyer, which is a collaborator of Tristan Nolan, among other people. Um, and it's a DC comic. It's sort of adjacent to like the more known DC comic book series. Uh, it stars Tom Sturridge, and he's the star. He's uh, Morpheus. He's the king of dreams, and he's held captive for decades, like 100 years or so. And eventually he escapes, and he goes on a quest to try to like regain all the relics that made him powerful and try to take back his throne as being the, the king of like the dreaming realm. Uh Boyd Hallbrook is in it as Corinthian. He's like the nightmare personification. Patton Oswalt is a, a raven, and um, he's like the companion and guide for Morpheus, which is a little strange, but uh, I guess it works because he's playing a bird. Uh, David Thewlis is in this, Charles Dance, and um, really a lot of faces I didn't really recognize. Uh, I'm about halfway through the season, and it, it's it's kind of fascinating. I It really isn't my thing. It's sort of like this like gothic horror thing, but... Um, it's shot really beautifully and the acting is it's working on me like Sturridge plays it sort of like Rob Pattinson or something playing Edward Cullen and uh but that really sets the moody tone of the show it's a lot of mythology that I don't really understand but everything's like thrown at you and even if you're a bit lost you know I'll come back around sort of or you'll just get you can marvel in like the sort of the beauty of how of how it's shot and I've evidently been trying to make this into a movie for like since like 1991 and it was deemed unfilmable and then Screw it. Bring in Netflix and they'll give you 10 episodes in an infinite budget, I guess. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I look forward to seeing what, what happens. I don't know if they're get, it's getting another season or not or how it uh, uh, de- eventually develops with uh, or connects with other comics like Constantine is referenced in this. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go, but uh, it's good so far. And, and if I was rating TV shows, I'd give it a solid three stars. It's, it's worth checking out if, if that's your thing. Yeah, it's got quite the cast list of people that I haven't seen for a while. We got a Julie Richardson sighting, John Cameron Mitchell, the short oh, bus yeah. guy. I mean, that's awesome. I didn't know he was still kicking it. We got David Thewlis, you know, the guy from Animalisa. It's an awesome cast. He's also yeah, Professor it's... Lupin in Harry Potter, but yeah. And uh, my girlfriend was saying that they're like, they're like, oh, that guy's from Game of Thrones, and oh, there's another Game of Thrones person, and you know, Harry <laughs> Potter people, and people that I don't really know who they are, but uh, evidently they're like legitimate actors. All right. I'm going to have to look this up now too. Keep going. Oh, 
Well, I mean, that was what I was going to say about that. But yeah, I mean, it, okay. it's a, it's an intriguing show, and I'm not familiar at all with the uh, the source material. But I mean, Constantine is a character; it's a female Constantine, and uh, so I don't know if they're going to develop some sort of Netflix universe of these DC comics or not. But I don't, it's it's interesting. Huh. I know Very this cool. is this is more of an Adam conversation, but what do you guys think about the whole Batgirl fiasco? <sighs> Like, I desperately want to see that movie now. It's got to be spectacularly bad, but in such a bad way that it would make me almost sympathetic toward it. I mean, you can't, I don't, how do you I don't, sell the project that's $90 million you've sunk into it? I don't think it's bad at all. I think they just decided they wanted to... They, well, no, they, they, were, they said that the, the test screens went really bad and they didn't well, think that they could recover it. And so, yeah, the tax write-off was going to be more than they were going to make theatrically or with people getting new subscriptions yeah there were, HBO Max. there were comments this week on social media about like this is the modern day producers you know like make make something that flops so you can get some something recoup from it i'm curious the only like this would be a, a great power ranking although i don't know how many there are but like movies that were never released like do you guys know about the original fantastic four movie in the 90s that never got released although you can find it on on youtube but that was also something similar. They had sunk money into it, but just to like make sure they had the rights to the characters, they had never planned on actually releasing the movie. But you know, when you tell an audience that you that no one wants you to see it, that's the best way to get word of mouth. So I, I think they uh, kudos to them for not releasing Batgirl. But at some point, we should get a leak on YouTube. Someone out there. You, you've heard it here first. Get get it on YouTube. Get it into libraries. Let the people decide. I, I think it's all just part of the bigger what the hell is HBO doing right now? And how how is this HBO Max Discovery Plus merger going to just mess everything up over there? But, yeah. Yeah, I heard somewhere on, on social media it said HBO, Peacock, um, and... Uh, uh, Discovery should all merge and call it uh, Max Cock Plus. It's <laughs> a good one. It's a good one. All right. Well, Zach, what did you watch this week? Okay. I watched a really good movie this week. It is available on Amazon Prime. It is called On the Count of Three. It is directed by Gerard Carmichael. It also stars Gerard Carmichael. He is from Saturday Night Live, and he's a comic if you're not familiar with him. Um, it stars him and Christopher Abbott a.k.a. Marnie's boyfriend on the first few seasons of, of Girls. And uh, they play Val and Kevin. They've kind of got a train spotting esque relationship. Uh, they, uh, they are bros. Um, and as, as the movie opens, Val is working this very dead-end job. Kevin is uh, has been uh, basically put in a mental institution. Um, and the thing they share in common besides uh, their friendship is they both want to kill themselves because their lives are so awful. And so at the beginning of the movie, they take they have a pact. They hold they kind of do the whole gun head to head thing and then they can't go through with it. But they decide that they're going to do it in 24 hours. They got to spend the, this last day, though, kind of making amends in preparation uh, to have this suicide pack, uh, pact played out. If this sounds really depressing, um, it definitely is like a very heavy topic. And yet the movie has this kind of like light tone. There's definitely comedic flashes uh, throughout. There's some really great banter between the two characters. Commentary about mental illness, but also just about 
you know, dead end jobs and uh, loyalty to each other. I mean, these two guys know each other. And uh, it's sort of interesting the way that there are times that you kind of see, well, maybe life is worth living for this purpose, but probably not. There's a really nice uh, small performances uh, by Tiffany Haddish as uh, Gerard Carmichael's uh, girlfriend in the movie. Lavelle Crawford plays uh, a mutual friend who owns a bike shop that they go to and visit. Uh, the end of the movie kind of gets out of control. It goes in some really unexpected directions um, that I applaud. The movie takes some risks. It's uh, not flattering. It's not always a fun movie to watch. Um, and yet there's definitely some great uh, comic kind of hijinks in it and some great uh, dialogue in it. Uh, this, to me, is one of the best movies of the year. I think it's really, it takes risks and it has some great performances. And I think Gerard Carmichael and Christopher Abbott are really, really uh, talented actors in this movie. I give it a solid three and a half stars. And I think it's kind of a gem that has sort of gotten lost this year. It's available on Amazon Prime, but it's gotten really great reviews. And uh, it's definitely something that's edgy and funny and very satisfying. Well, this nice. has been lost for a while. This originally was a Sundance movie last year, I believe. So it's good that it's finally actually available to watch because I've been this has been on my radar for a long time. So I didn't know it was popping up. Yeah, it's awesome. It you know it's a movie that is not a, a comfortable watch, um, and it again goes to places that you wouldn't expect. But uh, I I applaud Gerard Carmichael. I think he's talked a lot about uh, mental health and some of his stand up routines and. and uh, he's he's a, like a, a really naturalistic uh, actor, and like I said, there's a little bit of train spotting in the relationship between the, the the two characters. There's kind of a lot to say about the the society that they live in a bit. And actually, Timothy uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish, who's only in the movie for about maybe five minutes, definitely like Beatrice Straight energy. Like she's awesome in the small role that she has. She brings uh, that that role to life and sort of a what it's an unglamorous role, but she's really awesome in it and uh, fun movie that I will not forget anytime soon. Awesome. All right. We'll have to check that one out for sure. All right. I'm last one up. My Oscar watch for this week goes back 20 years and was a sole adapted screenplay nominee in 2002. The only sole adapted screenplay. About nominee. a boy. About a boy. Yes. About a boy directed by Chris White's Nick Hornby. White's. Uh, yep. Novel written by Nick Hornby. Uh, the IMDb description is great. It says a cynical, immature young man is taught how to act like a grown up by a little boy. And that's pretty that pretty much describes this movie. Um, Hugh Grant is the main character. Will Freeman, who is a yeah, a snobby bachelor who doesn't do anything, just is living off of his uh, his father's money uh, and somehow in through random circumstance runs into this like 12 year old boy played by Nicholas Holt in his first film role ever. Uh, and he's, he's amazing in it. And really this, this friendship that develops between the two of them, they become basically best friends and he learns how to, how to live, how to love, how to care, all that stuff. And it's, it's stuff that you see a lot in movies, but I really like how it approaches it here. Uh, one of the things I actually really liked about it was like the dueling inner monologues between Hugh Grant and Nicholas Holt. Uh, that they really they really work well. You've got some great uh, supporting performances, especially from Tony Collette, who plays um, who plays Mark, uh, the boy's mother, who uh, is is very depressed and is is having a lot of issues. Uh, I I really got into this movie. I I think it, it it's a it's a feel good movie. 
but also it's got some edge to it. Uh, it, it it's one of those, you know, it, it's a laugh, cry, think movie. And uh, and I, I, I loved it. Three and a half stars for about a boy. Um, it, it's always great to see Hugh Grant doing his thing, too. I mean, when Hugh Grant is on his game, I, there is there is no one. There possibly might be no one more charming than Hugh Grant when he's on his game. So uh, and then you add to it a great child performance. It's a great movie. Three and a half stars. Yeah, I saw this movie in the theater. Haven't really seen it since then, but remember, I remember really enjoying it. I have no idea how this movie wasn't directed by Stephen Fears, um, but it's got... I remember Tony Collette in it. I, she was, to me, the standout performance, but there is great dynamic between uh, Nicholas Holt and uh, Hugh Grant. I don't know. Are we nostalgic for Hugh Grant at this point? Does anyone remember Hugh Grant? I mean, certainly no one younger than us remembers him, but like, there was a time when he was like you know, solid box office performer. And this was like, in many ways, some people thought that this was like his most mature role because it was kind of self-reflexive. But I, I remember thoroughly enjoying this movie. He's There's total, total nostalgia for Hugh Grant. I mean, that that's what made him almost everyone. A lot of people were pining for a Best Supporting Actor nomination a couple years ago for The Gentleman. Um, he, he's still Foster that Jenkins, he almost got nominated Florence for. Foster Jenkins, he almost got nominated for. Basically for, playing what he always plays. Yeah, the, and and that's what made the gentleman so interesting is it was something different. And I mean, he's in he's in the new Dungeons and Dragons movie coming out next year. Well, there he's go. in the Paddington movies, right? He's in the Paddington movies. He was in the new the Guy Ritchie movie this year that no one saw, Operation Fortune, um, <laughs> where he's basically playing the same role he played in the Gentleman. Um, yeah, now he's like this, this like suave character actor that comes in and, and, but I think you can't pull off a cameo quite like that unless there's some nostalgia for you. And so that's why I, I, I agree. You, there's, there's Hugh Grant nostalgia for sure. Are you a fan of this movie, Todd? Yeah. Yeah. I like it too. I mean, it's hard not to like about a boy. It's, it's one of those that's sort of like instantly just adorable. So, and yeah, I mean, it, Maybe not a great title, but uh, it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> this deserved to be on our list last week, for sure. That's going to be a running gag for like the history of this podcast now. All right. Well, that's what we've been watching. Let's get into our featured review for this week. And for that, we are looking at uh, the latest theatrical release, the latest hit movie to hit theaters. It is Bullet Train. Talk to me. I am ready. You are getting the new and improved me. Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Uh, Zach, you're starting us off on this one. Tell us all about Bullet Train and what you thought. Why? Because it's like there's some MCU DNA in it, maybe. No, I think it's, it's just, just your turn. <laughs> oh, okay. I always feel like I get the most convoluted movies to introduce because, well, I'll just come out right and say it. Uh, this was a very complicated movie. I'm not quite sure I can do an adequate job of describing it. It also wasn't aided by the fact that I did fall asleep for much of the first half hour of it. But I will try, maybe assisted by Wikipedia here, Uh Bullet Train, directed by, from the director of Deadpool 2, as the trailers told us. Uh, the new movie with uh, Academy Award winner Brad Pitt. I believe this is his first movie since his Oscar win, right? Or has he done anything since? The Lost City. Okay. Uh, 
Well, I I don't know if that really counts, but okay. Uh, <laughs> definitely some overlap with The Lost City, too, if we want to talk about that. But um, Henry Lower Cast. Yeah. This, yeah, basically. So this movie uh, stars Brad Pitt as Ladybug, and he is an assassin who, at the beginning of the movie, um, he is assigned to go on a bullet train um, in Japan that's traveling from Tokyo to Kyoto and abscond with a briefcase. Uh, along the way, uh, he encounters two assassins uh, named Apricot and Lemon. No, Tangerine and Lemon. My bad. And uh, they are played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. Um, great, great three-named duo. Not a lot of great three-named duos in movies, but uh, I, I like it. Uh, uh, ATJ and, and BTH. Um, he's sent to steal the briefcase from them. Um, we also have a character called The Prince, who's played by Joey King. And she is also infiltrating this train to try to get the briefcase, I believe. I'm not quite sure. I wasn't quite sure about her relationship to the other characters. We also have um, uh, the Elder, uh, played by Hiroki Sanada. And uh, he is uh, an old man on the train who is also involved with this briefcase. Listen, you have a bunch of these characters on a train searching for a briefcase. You get some cutaway flashbacks that give some context, but not a whole lot of context to why they're there. So I spent a lot of this movie confused. Um, but I will say that what I like about the movie is that I think the characters are also kind of confused. They're never quite sure who is who or why they're searching for this uh, elusive briefcase or what they're doing there. Um, there's some interesting uh, chemistry between the characters. Uh, my favorite is probably Tangerine and Lemon, um, who are uh, BFFs. Uh, they're uh, great uh, you know, bros for life. They have discussions about Thomas the Tank Engine, which I really found close to my heart as a fan of that show growing up. I was familiar with all the, the trains that uh, Lemon was talking about. Um, there's some nice uh, interplay between the characters. There's some good fighting sequences. This is a movie very much in the realm of Deadpool, but also there's some DNA of Kill Bill in this movie. There's uh, obviously some odes to Tarantino with characters talking about very insignificant things in the midst of trying to kill someone. There's a little bit of the last 20 minutes of speed in this movie with a train that is out of control, crazy. Uh, this movie has kinetic energy, and it does have um, some cutaways that don't seem to exist for any reason. There's some fun celebrity cameos peppered in here and there. Um, there is a story that is elaborate and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and yet I kind of enjoyed it for that fact. The story is is not as important as, um, I guess, the set pieces. And, and um, you know, for a movie that runs just a, a, a tick over two hours, um, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, I went in this movie skeptical. It did look kind of like a sort of smug, um, almost, you know, self-aware Deadpool ripoff. Um, and there is some elements to that in the movie, but I think the characters are really likable. It's a fun time. It's not an MCU movie. It's not a sequel. It's not a remake. Um, I, to somewhat of my surprise, I'm giving this movie three stars. I wouldn't call it a great movie, but it was entertaining. And uh, I like the Thomas the Tank Engine stuff. I like the, the, the fight scenes. And um, this movie had me smiling through large portions of it. So so there you go. Thumbs up. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go next. Uh, I I did love this movie. I'm giving it three and a half stars. This was a wild ride and everything you want from just a fun day at the movies. Uh, it it's a uh, it's it's wild. 
it's got wild characters with with wild relationships with each other and you've got like this whole cast of people some of the ones you didn't mention that are on the train you've got zazie beats on the train you've got logan lerman on the train bad bunny is on the train uh you've got andrew koji uh masi oka being seen for the first time since heroes is on the train um you've got uh you've got a lot of a lot of great characters and they're all super quirky uh, and the quirkiest might be Brad Pitt. I, I mean, the, just the the deadpan stuff he's able to bring to the table just adds so much flair to everything that's going on. But I mean, with everything everything that this movie has going on, I think something that keeps it entertaining and keeps it moving is the fact that it's so contained. It all takes place on this train, and there's there's no escaping the train. Everything is happening there. But it's this big. It's this action movie too, and. The fact that there is like there's a time a time limit there's a time constraint there's you know that something is there there's an impending end to what is going on and everything has to be solved by the time you get there so there's there's some um there's some pressure on what's going on there's some stress on what's going on and you put crazy wacky wild characters i mean this is this is like uh an adrenaline filled like clue the movie where you just get these weird, quirky characters all in the same space, and the only difference is this one—they're all assassins, and uh, and you say go and see what happens. That's what this movie is. Uh, I I loved it. Like you said, it's it's a little over two hours, but at no point does it feel like it's like it's slow. It it's a uh, it's entertaining throughout. Yeah, three and a half stars for me. I love Bullet Train. Todd, what'd you think? Well, like the dueling assassins with uh, with Brad Pitt, it definitely makes you think of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is probably why Brad Pitt's in the movie because he doesn't really fit that character I think necessarily. But I, I what I don't, the thing I don't like about the movie is how it looks. Like it looks like a shot for 3D because there are some of the shots that are just like there's something to like pass or like be sitting in the foreground. Like there's a, a shot of like the bottom of people's of two people of uh, two feet that are like sitting like taking up half the camera. And I'm like, this is not a 3D shot. Like, why am I looking at the bottom of their feet when, like, what I need to look at is in the background? I don't know. And then, like, the end of the movie, too, it just looked, like, cartoonish. I don't know why it was looking like that, but it didn't look like anything in reality. I don't I don't think that was intentional. But for me, Tangerine and Lemon are the best part of the movie. Like, they're doing the Jules and Vincent thing, but, like, more badgering between them, as if they're, like, Turk and Virgil in the Oceans movies. Like, I mean, like, they, they're really going for it. Brian Tyree Henry is everywhere. And it's in, he's in that spot where... Like Seth Rogen was like in the early 2010s, where it's like he's still not oversaturated somehow. You don't nobody minds seeing Brian Tyree Henry being the character in a movie, even though he's in like half the movies out. Uh, but Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think, steals the entire movie. He is absolutely fantastic in this. Um, and then like the weird, like sort of shocking uh, inclusions of other cast members that I didn't know were in the movie. I didn't even know that was a possible thing to do anymore. It, it's sort of it's definitely a COVID production because like it was almost like okay. Oh yeah, I was working with these actors on this other movie, so they were quarantined with me, so they could come and be these bit parts in this movie, which is essentially what they did. Or like, or with Brian Taylor Henry, like, oh yeah, she's in this uh, this TV show with me. Like, oh, let's throw her in there, and and they'll be one of the other, like the ten characters that aren't one of the main characters. It's pretty weird, especially the like uh, Brad Pitt's co-stars are just ridiculous. It's fun, but it's bizarre. Um, the action is definitely more Deadpool than it is John Wick, but it works because Brad Pitt, did, I don't think he really cares. He doesn't take anything seriously, which is sort of endearing. 
Joey King is way too old for that role. The, I, I I love the Hiroki Sonata and Andrew Koji. They they have really good t- comedic timing to go with like their action prowess, which was a different. Uh, they were almost in a different movie than the rest of the cast, and it's cut in a way that is so chaotic that it reminded me of everything everywhere all at once. But maybe not for the better. It keeps moving, but it gets really hairy and confusing, and uh, has some lumps in the midsection because you're just sort of lost. I. It's a movie to see with a crowd, though, because I, I saw it on a matinee on a Saturday, and it was it was a pretty packed showing, and they were, like, vocally loving the movie. And I don't know what to do entirely, because, I mean, I have my reservations. I can't fully embrace it. I, it's a lot of fun. I want movies like this to exist, but not as self-aware as this one is. I'm 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 gonna lean at two and a half stars, and but oh, I mean, oh come on, man! I really I really did enjoy watching the movie oh. if you turn your brain off. <laughs> I thought for sure we were gonna get our get a thrice approved movie there. Duh. we were so close. It's funny that you mentioned the mid the middle because I thought where it, where it got its worst was I, I thought the ending was I mean the ending was too ha- long. Well, How yeah, are you there's going? Way too many endings. Well, and and it's it's one of those where how are you going to end this? And it, it it goes completely like off the rails in its ending, but it kind of had to. So I don't know. I, I, didn't, I, I, want... I didn't want the, the like the mid credits thing. I didn't want that to happen. Like I, it was better before that. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I agree with Todd that uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson are awesome in this movie. If the twins, this was by like, the way, they're, they're they're called the twins. Right. If yeah. this was a more significant movie, which I'm glad it wasn't, but if this was a more significant movie, uh, I would almost want to watch, almost not entirely, almost want to watch a prequel about them. And there's a little <laughs> bit of, of there's a little bit of flashback and story, but that like almost enticed me more. Like I would actually want to know. They're the Hobbs and Shaw of this movie for sure. And actually, the director of this movie did direct Hobbs and Shaw, I believe. Uh, but I like it. I also think it's intriguing that the director of this movie was Brad Pitt's stuntman for a long time. Did you guys know that? I just mm-hmm. I read that somewhere. Um, and yet, like, I don't know. This movie is sort of like it's not great. It doesn't do anything great. But I kind of like it for that. Like the action sequences aren't that great. It doesn't have great memorable dialogue. It's not great set pieces. It's not really great storyline. The story is so convoluted. It's impossible to follow anyway. And yet I kind of like it. I mean, I my biggest criticism of the Marvel movies, like thinking back to Thor is just how over the top and ridiculous it was. And we just didn't need this overproduced, you know, monolithic, just behemoth of, of a beast that was just not interesting at all in the least bit. But this is always cutting away to interesting character after interesting character. You never, it doesn't grow stale, even though it is maybe a little over long. Um, and it's just, it's, it's legitimately interesting. And I'm glad it was in a theater. I think I, I would have maybe been more toward Todd's viewpoint if it was on Netflix. Um, I think the theater actually really helped it. This does kind of feel like a movie that you would see pop up on Netflix. Yeah. Right. The, this, this feels like it could have been the gray man or what was that Chris Hemsworth movie we watched last year? Um, extraction extraction. Oh, yeah. Like it, it felt like it could have been one of those. Was. That's a good. That's a good point, but uh, but yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad it was in theaters too. Um, I saw it on a on a Friday matinee, and there it was me and like two or three other people. But mm. yeah, the, I, my I crowd wish, liked. I wish lot, we too. had a big crowd. I also have to say, I am. I I can't not look at what critics say about these movies. I I wish I I had more of a filter, but uh, I don't. 
And it seems like the critics are really being tough on this movie, which is a little inexplicable to me. The same critics that gave Thor like a 75 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, the thing is, everybody's using this movie as a referendum of the Deadpool self-aware humor is so passe. You know, it's derivative. We're past that. It was big 10 years ago. You know, the, 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 the psychological babble that Brad Pitt does in this movie, we've seen it in Snatch and Lockstock and, you know, Gross Point Blank and movies like that. They're not talking about the movie, though. They're just talking about their own kind of personal feelings. And they're trying to make this movie like a they're trying to make this movie reflect their own feelings. And in the process, they're ignoring, I think, the strengths of this movie. So I don't know. I I, I feel as though critics have, a, have an ax to grind about something. Terry accuses me of this, you know, like in my review of Elvis. But like, I, I, for what it's worth, just, just watch the movie on its own and enjoy the movie for what it's worth. Okay? It's not a great movie in any respect. It's a fun summer movie. Go into it. Turn your brain off and enjoy. Well, I think that's exactly what. I mean, if you've seen the trailer for this, that's exactly what you should expect. Right. Turn your brain off, have some fun, and that's what it's going to be. And and it does some things that are a little different and a little uh, that will surprise you a little bit, and that's what makes it great. Yes, I agree. 100%. All right. But that was last Why week's Why aren't movie, we price 100%. approved? Why I don't know. Price approved, Todd? Come on. You, you, I thought for sure you were going three stars. It seemed like yeah, you should have three stars last week, so... No, this was, 100%. this was better than Vengeance. I mean, Vengeance was certainly a more ambitious movie, but... No, but I mean, this isn't my... I Okay, I, I'm i the one that, that said Deadpool was one of the five worst movies of the year it came out. Like, this is not my thing. So, and I'm, I put Deadpool in my top 100 of all time. So. Yeah, exactly. So, I, this, I mean... Deadpool, this is better than Deadpool. That that's, that's well, yeah, sure. it's it's absolutely better than Deadpool. That's why it's not... It doesn't suck, but I mean, it it, it, it is a lot of fun, but it's just not... It didn't quite get there, and and, it, and maybe it was because the ending just left a sour taste in my mouth. Because like there's so it had potential like a couple of times to end the movie, and it didn't do it. If it didn't have the mid credit scene, would it be three stars? Ooh, that's a good, that's a good point. I like the mid credit scene for what's worth. Well, see, but uh, I mean the the ending before that, and like the what what that left with you left you with was really interesting. And so I mean that that did linger in my head for a good half an hour after the movie. But I don't know if I would have actually bumped it up. Maybe. All right. Has a mid-credit sequence made a movie go from thumbs up to thumbs down? Before? It wasn't That's mid-credits. It was like after two credits. <laughs> <laughs> a two-credit scene. I assume we're all referring to the same scene because there's no. I did not stay after that. That right. Oh, there, there was nothing after that. I hope not because I, I was out of there. All right. Well, uh, I will say Bullet Train is number one at the box office this week. Thirty million dollars it made, which is is reasonable. It's not great. It's not bad. Uh, second place, only eleven million, and that was DC League of Super Pets. Uh, rounding out the top six, Top Gun Maverick at seven million, still making seven million dollars this weekend. Still, still raking it in, and still in the top six. That thing was released Memorial Day weekend, and here we are in August, and it's it's still in the top six. They should just take it out and then re-release it and then be like, it's a new movie uh, <laughs> with 20 seconds of added footage. <laughs> then it'll own Labor Day weekend. <laughs> it will. All right. Well, I'm giving it three and a half. Um, bullet train, that is. I'm giving it three and a half. Zach is giving it three. Todd, for some reason, is giving it two and a half. We are not thrice approved, but you should go see Bullet Train. I think Todd would even say it's worth going to see. 
Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun ride. Yeah, it's it's fun. Might be the most just entertaining trip to the theater you can get right now. So, all right. Unless you go see Top Gun Maverick again. Exactly. I was going to exactly. say, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming everyone's seen that already. All right. Well, that is Bullet Train. Let's move into our deep dive. It is deep dive week. And for this week, we are going back 20 years and celebrating the 20th anniversary of the conclusion with the beginning of the Hannibal Lecter trilogy. And that is Red Dragon. I need your advice, Dr. Lecter. If you recall well, our last collaboration ended rather messily. How is young Josh and the lovely Molly? They're always in my thoughts, you know. So it's true the Lecter's actually helping with your investigation. We may have a little over three weeks before this freak does it again. I might not have time. I do. I have oodles. Uh, uh, well, the Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter trilogy. Yeah, I was going to say, you it, it didn't the really end. conclude anything, and then it wasn't the beginning because there was Hannibal Rising after, so I was... I was <laughs> well, the, the, that's, yeah, okay. All right, fine. We're, we're, we're deep diving Red Dragon here. Uh, which we are all big fans of. Are we? I think so. Well, we well, we, we were going into this week, so we'll see about we'll see about if that's still the case. But uh, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna start with some trivia here before we get into that whole conversation. And Zach, you're hosting. I am because I've seen this movie the least out of anybody. So uh, I have eleven questions here for Red Dragon. I don't know why we ever settled on eleven questions, but uh, it's a good number. Uh, we're going to go with Todd first because I think Terry has seen this movie and has more knowledge of it uh, than Todd does. So Terry, if you All could right. sign off, we will. I will sign off. We will bid adieu to you and see you shortly. Uh, okay, so um, Todd, I have eleven questions. These are some excellent questions because this movie is full of just bangers throughout. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, this question is worth one point, but you can say multiple answers to it. What were the body parts missing from Hannibal's third victim that led Will to him? Oh shit! Uh, so I'll I can like, only I can only get one point. I'll, I'll yeah, but you can say okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you one uh, point, but there's there's I, I wrote down five different answers. What do you say? Tongue, liver. Yeah. Tongue, yeah. tongue is tongue is one of them. Yes. Yeah, so I'll give you a point for that. Uh, can you think of any others besides tongue? Well, I think I mean, liver was one, right? Yeah, liver was one. Um, there were other organs, but I, I don't remember what the other ones were. Uh, oysters, which I had never heard of before, and, right. and neither had That's Will, right. which are something on the side of your back. Uh, kidney, and then something called a thymus. Okay. There you go. Um, I've got the one point. <laughs> uh, what size shoe does Francis wear? Which is said multiple times, so it's not a bullshit question. Um, I'm going to say 14. Uh, 11. It's not that big. This one goes to 11. Uh, I wear a bigger foot than that, and they said he might be a bodybuilder. That's bullshit. What size shoe do you wear? 13 and a half. Really? That's interesting. I didn't I didn't know. That's 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 large. I wear 10 and a half. Um, why won't Francis stop killing? According to who? Uh, uh, Will. 
Okay, so it's this. I'll give you the scene. The scene. It's when he's talking to all the police officers at the Atlanta PD, and one of them, and and he says, "Why? This is why Francis won't stop." I think someone asks him, "Why won't he stop killing? How do you know he's going to kill again?" And Will says, "Blank." I don't. I don't recall the line. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, because it makes him God. Oh, that was such a passing point. Okay, whatever. Listen, man. I'm 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 scraping here, okay? All right. All right. Why does Will keep wearing his nasty aftershave? Cuz it keeps getting it for Christmas. That is correct. There we go. On the board, you got 2 points. Uh what was Hannibal's published article about? And I would give you an extra point if you can name the journal that it was published in. I don't I don't remember. It was Surgical Addiction, which I feel like must be a plot point for a David Cronenberg movie or something. Um, and it was published in the Journal of Forensic Psychology. Uh, what is the name of the Leeds family dog? George. The answer is Precious. <laughs> based on a novel pushed by Sapphire. Exactly. Uh, at what point, minute and second, do we see Rafe Fine's face for the first time in this movie? Now, you can say say it, and then I will, whoever's closer between you and Terry, I will give the point to. I'm going to say 42 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay, 42.15 is your answer. I will reveal the answer later. What would Will do to Hannibal if he could go, if he could go back to the past? I don't remember the line. Yeah. Was this when they were walking around the circle? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was a very colorful line. I felt like writing it down. He said he would put two in your head before you could palm that stiletto. Okay. I remember the line. I wouldn't have come up with that, though. That's... I'm not sure what that line means, but okay. Uh, what is written on the Tooth Fairy's locker? <laughs> it was also a bad movie about horses. That Dreamer? I you liked more than I did. Uh, no, the answer is Mustang. Mustang. <laughs> Flicker. How many <laughs> how many employees work at Chromalux? Twelve. Uh, Three hundred and eighty-two, <laughs> which I found interesting considering it's a company that manufactures DVDs. Apparently. No, not, not even DVDs. They're videotapes. Like, yeah, videotapes. Excuse me. I forgot it's 2002. Okay, last question. And this is worth up to five points. This is where you can get some points back. Red Dragon was the number one movie. Uh, of the weekend it opened in October 2002, what were numbers two through five? You can get up to four points. October 2002, I'm going to say uh, Minority Report. No. No. Um, Chicago. No. I didn't I go remember. to movies in 2002. Yeah, I, say, I remember. Um, those, those are way off. Minority Report was summer. Chicago was later. One of them was a huge money money grabber. The uh, surprise two hours. That was, that was December, man. I didn't uh, go to the movies in two thousand two. <sighs> All right, these questions were a failure. Spider Man. No, that was the freaking summer. Uh, the answers are number two was Sweet Home Alabama. Three was the Tuxedo. Four was the big surprise money maker of 2002, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And number mm. five was Barbershop. Well, that, that would have been impossible to get any of those. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that's sort of like 
par for the course with this. How'd you not ask stuff. what the video was when he opens up to find the one tape? Like the the first one that pops up. I what Jones. was it? I don't know. Oh, well, there you go. I, that is a Zach question. I didn't I didn't pause right the under the TV. Right under the TV. Is Terry alive? Hello. He also didn't ask what the word was that he wrote in the book. What was the word that he wrote in the book? Sweetbreads. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. That's right. not a question, Terry. So, Terry, we got found it. out no, that my, my trivia sucks for this movie. Okay. Todd got a grand total of two questions, correct? Uh, we'll see. I although, can see this being a hard, a hard movie to find trivia for. Apparently, although he could get a, another point depending on one of the answers to the question. So, so we'll see how you do. Uh, okay, so the first question, um, which there can be multiple answers to. What were the body parts missing from Hannibal's third victim that led Will to him? Uh, the 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 oysters, the liver, the the yeah, the liver, Correct. the kid, yeah, liver, kidney, tongue, and yeah. something called the thymus. Uh, what size shoe does Francis wear? You can also answer the question: What size shoe does Todd wear? Which we also talked about. Was was it 11? 11 is correct. That's yeah. impressive. Do you know what size shoe Todd wears? 13? Was it 13? Yeah, 13, yeah, thir yeah, 13, 13 and a half, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Impressive. Why won't Francis stop killing? Uh, because it makes him God. Would you give that, that is, up? That is correct. Yes. Impressive. Uh, why does Will keep wearing his nasty aftershave? He keeps getting it for Christmas. That is also correct. Terry, four for four. Uh, what was Hannibal's published article about? And I'll give you an extra point if you can name the journal that it was published in. I have no clue. Uh, Surgical Addiction. It published in the Journal of Forensic Psychology. Did he publish it from his jail cell is the question. <laughs> um, what is the name of the Leeds dog? Oh, 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 um. Which I have a lot of theories about, by the way. Oh, crap. It's, um, Otis. It's not right. I can't that remember. That is not right. It is no, precious. Precious. Yeah, I wasn't going to come up with that. Okay. What is the time stamp, minutes and seconds, where we first see Rafe Fine's face in this movie? Like 50 minutes? 50 minutes. Todd said 42.15. The correct answer is 51.15. So, sadly, Terry gets the point for that. Uh, what would Will do to Hannibal if he could go back to the past? Um, he'd, uh, he'd shoot him. Uh, yes. Put, put two I'll... bullets in him or something like that. Yes, yes. Put two in your head before you could palm that stiletto. Yeah. <laughs> What is written on the Tooth Fairy's locker? Uh, Mr. D? Uh, no, Mustang. Mustang. Uh, how many employees are work for Chromalux? And Todd got this answer spectacularly like, wrong. 3,000? No, apparently you did too. Uh, I, got, I was closer. You were closer. <laughs> I'm going to give Todd a point for that. Uh, it's 382. I knew it had a three in it. I said 12. Uh, no, I I remember thinking we're both, like 
Wait, how do they have that many working for them? <laughs> well, it's less than 3,000. It's less than 3,000. I should have said 300. <laughs> Okay, last question worth up to four points. Red Dragon was the number one movie. It was released the weekend it opened in October 2002. What were numbers two through five? Chicago. No. That was a that was an Oscar movie. That came out in like December. Okay. Sometimes Oscar movies come out in October. I um, guess that's true. Yeah, gosh. Um about a boy. No, that no, was like a that's May a good release. Guess, though. That was like a May release I just looked at. Um, it's a good guess, and he was further off than on you. My answer. Yeah, but that was a unique 2002 title. Uh, it's not Spider Man because that came out in like May. Uh, one was a huge money maker, surprise money maker. Catch me if you can. And my that big fat also, Greek wedding. Yes, that was number. That was number four. That was the Top Gun Maverick of 2002, the movie that would not go away. The others were uh, Sweet Home Alabama, number two, The Tuxedo, number three, and Barbershop, number five. Do you know the other big movie that was released going up against Red Dragon that weekend? You'll never no. get it, but no, it, I thought this was hilarious. The answer was Jonah the Veggie Tales movie. <laughs> That's funny. So with a score of six to three, Terry wins in underwhelming trivia, where we learned Todd's shoe size. That was that was the big takeaway from this. Hey, I, I did all right. I did all right. I I, I was able to uh, answer some of your leading questions a little better. I'm I'm guessing. Which ones did Todd get? He got the early ones. Um, the parts of the body that Hannibal that, that drew will to Hannibal. And um, of the aftershave question, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, let's let's talk about Red Dragon. This was a this was my choice to deep dive. So I'll start off with this one. Uh, yeah, 2002, 20 years ago. Um, this movie had been made once before, uh, in oh, 86. the 80s, 86, as a movie called Manhunter. It was given a different name because of uh because there was another movie that came out that sounded very similar around that time. And it wasn't that great. Um, but uh, they revived this whole franchise in 1991 with a little movie called Silence of the Lambs. So once they established that Anthony Hopkins was the greatest Hannibal Lecter you could possibly come up with, they, uh, they just kept making them. And in 2000, they put out Hannibal. And then in 2002, they went back and made the first one again. This time calling it by the book's original title, Red Dragon. And tells the story of Will Graham uh, hunting the Tooth Fairy and, much like in Science Lambs, using Hannibal as a, as a helper and a, and a confidant in, in helping find him. The difference is Will Graham is the one that put Hannibal behind bars. Uh, I've always felt, I've, I've always liked this story more than Silence of the Lambs. I think Red Dragon has, of all the Hannibal movies, has the best story. Silence of the Lambs might be the best movie. Red Dragon is the best story. I think Will Graham is more interesting than Clarice Starling. I think The Tooth Fairy is more interesting than Buffalo Bill. I think the relationship between Hannibal and Will is much more fascinating than between Clarice and Hannibal. Um, 
I'm not even counting Han- the movie Hannibal in, in all of this. Um, there's a reason that when a TV show came out about Hannibal Lecter, they told the story of what led up to Red Dragon because the relationship between Will and Hannibal is so fascinating. Um, the movie, I, I, I'd seen this movie a while ago. I don't, I don't remember when exactly I saw it. I w- instantly loved it, though. Uh, watching it now, I, it it doesn't age the greatest. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot more grisly than I thought it was, or than I remember it to be. But um, it's still a great story. It's still a great movie. It's got a a bunch of really good performances in it and a really star studded cast. Uh, and it's a it's a fascinating movie and again a fascinating story. I read this book back in college. Um, and the book is is even more fascinating than the than the movie is, but it, it's I, I still love it. I still love it, and and it, I find, like I said, I find the story just so fascinating. Todd, I think we probably watched this for the first time at the same time. Yeah, I think we probably watched all three of them in succession at some point. I don't know. I mean, probably. yeah. I, 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 I love this movie, too. But I mean, it's it had been several years, probably at least 10 years since I watched it. But I I do love this story more. Will Graham is definitely the better character than Clarice. And, and yeah, I mean, I love the Hannibal TV series, too. And it's just because that character has so many more layers than we're given with Clarice. That's why Clarice was canceled after less than a season. Um, what I love about this movie is, like, it plays like a Hitchcock movie, especially the early scenes. Like, um, if it, def- if it was a Hitchcock movie, it would have been made in, like, 1960 or something, and it would have been Jimmy Stewart as Hannibal would be like, I think I'll eat your heart, you know, or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it would have been terrifying, but it would have been yeah. awesome. Um, he, like, uh, and then the score, too, is a total Hitchcock score. The arcs of this movie are a Hitchcock movie, and that's something the Sounds of the Lambs didn't have, but that's what makes this one more of, like, a popcorn movie than Sounds of the Lambs, which is a much more, like, seedy like dark disturbing movie that isn't as easy to rewatch as this one is. And Edward Norton's a better actor than this movie probably deserved. And that's what takes it over the edge. I, I I do still like this movie a lot. It moves really well. And uh, the, the characters, the the side characters are all like, yeah, like Terry said, it's a star studded cast. Like there's so many Oscar nominees in this movie, uh, even in like tiny parts. It's, it's a it's a really good movie and I mean I don't yeah it's not a better movie than Sounds of the Lambs definitely a better movie than uh, than Hannibal and uh, a better director for sure than Hannibal's director but uh, yeah I mean I I still like this movie a lot it's it's not quite a top ten movie of two thousand two like I used to have it but it, it is still it is still really really good the one thing I remember more uh, from this watch than I noticed before was the score and and I like how you said it. it's a very Hitchcockian score you're right. All right, Zach, what's your experience with this one? All right, October 2002, the time of Barbershop and uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding and Jonah, Jonah uh, Veggie Tales. Uh, I saw this movie theater. Um, <coughs> interesting experience because when Hannibal came out, 
first of all, that movie had loads of anticipation for it. And I like how Todd's not mentioning the director of Hannibal. Let's not mention the director of Hannibal. That director doesn't need to be mentioned, <laughs> but it was a big, uh, let's, shall we say, uh, an Oscar, Oscar prestigious director uh, making his follow-up to his Oscar winning Best Picture, fraudulent Best Picture. And it was a uh, huge Didn't summer. Did it come out release. the same year? No, it was the it was the year after two thousand one. Yeah, but oh, it came out in two thousand one. Okay, man, everybody wanted to see Hannibal. It was I remember watching the trailer for it that summer. I was so wrapped up in it. I was thrilled for it, and boy, was that movie terrible! It was absolutely awful. Julianne Moore gave I think the worst performance of her career. Ray Liotta, R.I.P. Just awful. You know, I mean, you, the only thing I, I you know, the, the most memorable thing about that movie is, is is the plane sequence at the end, which was just disgusting. Gary Oldman's terrible in it. It's a terrible movie. Um, so when when uh, I would say Gary Oldman's the one good thing about it, because uh, he's, he's just doing Gary Oldman. things. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's good that we were it, the best thing about that movie is that we're not deep diving it. OK, because yes. Red Dragon, it's interesting because Red Dragon came out less than a year well maybe a little bit more than a year after hannibal and but it was on the coattails of this movie that was such a huge disappointment the only real comparison i could have which kind of eerily similar was ai and minority report i mean there was so much anticipation for it now granted ai was a good movie but i think it it, it disappointed a lot of people P people thought spielberg had romanticized the kubrick version of it and minority report came out and almost redeemed spielberg in a way this movie for me redeemed hannibal lecter it was like okay we're going back to the roots we're not doing this ridiculous gross out bullshit we're actually telling a story about you know the events that lead up to uh the the events in silence of the lambs and i remember really liking it when i saw it now watching it yesterday i had not seen it in a very long time due in part to the fact that the director of this movie who we also won't mention has been canceled uh but uh Interesting rewatch. It was a very nostalgic 2002 rewatch. There's like a lot of two, early 2000s beats in this movie with like the jump scares coming from the music. That was a big thing in the early 2000s. I agree with Terry. This movie is loaded with talent and it kind of harkens back to an era when a, you know, a genre sequel would be loaded with talent, like the likes of Ray Fiennes and Emily Watson, Philip Seymour Hoffman. We don't really see that anymore. That has kind of gone away. And I think it's interesting that this movie has faded because when people think about Hannibal, they think about The Silence of the Lambs. They think about how terrible maybe Hannibal was. And they think about Mads Mikkelsen. They don't really remember this movie for some reason. I, I mm -hmm. dare say that Mindhunter at this point, or Manhunter, excuse me, is more well-known than this movie. I don't know really anyone that watches this movie at this point. And by the way, Manhunter is a really good movie. Brian Cox's portrayal as Lecter is really good. Lecter with a K, by the way. Uh, and uh, it's a good movie. I think I still give it thumbs up. It's it's a little silly. I'm not quite sure. I understand the end of this movie. It it's it's there is no way this movie is anywhere close to as good as Silence of the Lambs. And I both I completely disagree with both of you that. Clarice is a far more compelling character than Will Graham. Um, when I watched this movie again, all I could think of was bleach blonde Monty Brogan. Um, and you know, I love this. He's nothing was, like Monty. He's not. I, I get it, but you know, it was it was it was Edward Norton. I love. He's more that, like his character in the Italian Job. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the only reason that Edward Norton did this movie was to finance uh, 25th Hour, and if that's the reason for its purpose, then so be it. 
there's some good parts in this movie. I think what's interesting about this movie is you have two strands. You have the Hannibal and Will strand and the Tooth Fairy and Emily Watson strand. And both of those actually work pretty well together. Uh, they, they work well separately. It almost feels like two movies. And maybe the flaw of this movie is I don't really know. The movie never really makes a seamless connection between the two. Um, it feels like it's trying to do too much. Um, but in a way, it's it's interesting. I think Ray Fiennes is really good in this movie. Emily Watson, what a killer year. This and Punch Drunk Love, which we just talked about. She's great in this movie. It, it's great performances. It's an all-star loaded cast, and that's probably the most interesting thing about this movie. I still give it a reluctant three stars, but it is nowhere close to Silence of the Lambs. However, given that we know the existence of Hannibal Rising and Hannibal, this movie could have been so much worse than it actually was. So I applaud uh, the fact that this movie wasn't complete awful garbage. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this movie, which is why they made a TV show and why the TV show was so good was because there's so much depth in Will and Hannibal and they're back and forth. Yeah. And then you could explore the other things on the side when this makes it almost like, yeah, it's like dual movies happening at the same time. Yeah, well, and I think, uh, like I said, I, I think Silence of the Lambs is the better movie. But like I said, I think this is the better story. Um, and I think part of why this one worked, and maybe why it was forgotten, is it went back to the roots. I mean, what makes a Hannibal Lecter story great is Hannibal's not the center of the story. It's it's about something else, and Hannibal is just the side character that is this menacing villain that you have to incorporate in. That's what made Hannibal such a bad movie is Hannibal became the focal point. Hannibal became the centerpiece. Uh, this is where it's the best is, is this idea that you have this, this killer on the loose and you have to use a killer to find the killer. Um, you know I what this think... movie... oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say this movie makes me a little bit nostalgic for slightly above average sequels. Do you guys know what I mean? Like, Okay, like Rocky 2 and Die Hard 2, Die Harder, and Iron Man 2. Those were movies I thought about watching this movie, which were like solid B movies, not anywhere close to the original. I kind of miss that era. I kind of miss when the sequel was just, or, spe or Speed 2 even, really. Although that's more of a personal thing. But like, this is like a solid movie. It's nowhere close to the original. What I like about it is that you can see the DNA in the original. I mean, obviously, there's moments in this movie that are shot-for-shot shot remakes of the original, like when Will is walking through, you know, the, the prison. No multiple There's a lot of homages family. to... There's to a lot of homages, like but it's fun homages. And, like, you can see... You can see the relationship. It's not It's not always a shot-for-shot shot remake, but that's what I like about this movie is that there, there are layers to it. You could kind of see some areas in which Will and Clarice are similar but also different. And then there's things, that, especially the relationship between the Tooth Fairy and Buffalo Bill. They're unique characters. They're, they're similar characters in some ways, but there's enough difference in it to be able to rightfully applaud the filmmakers for being a little bit different, taking a few more risks with it. Although, to be fair, this movie, you know, this book was, you know, before Silence of the Lambs, right? So, um, I don't know. I, I don't. You guys miss like the era of B sequels. Well, but I think that's the difference. I, I, I do understand what, what you mean by that, and, and yes. But um, I think what makes this one different is that this was the original. This is the original Hannibal Lecter story. And it's just finally going back and getting the, 
the attention it's due. I mean, Manhunter is fine, but Manhunter was made as a B movie, right? It wasn't a, like a like a a main attraction type of type of movie when it came out. It was made as a low budget B movie, you know, thriller. And this is give it gives it the the attention that the that the Hannibal Lecter franchise, if you want to call it that, deserves. And yeah, and actually told the story the way it was meant to be told. Manhunter, though, the Michael Mann movie was doing something a little different than the Hannibal era of this universe. Manhunter Hopkins era. Right. Manhunter was a total Michael Mann movie. The, the star of the movie was Michael Mann, not Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> it was meant to be a deconstruction of how the FBI works. It was the inner workings of the FBI. And uh, it wasn't really overly concerned with Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter was like a side character. You know, he was like a character. He was like in the bar in Star Wars. He was just this curiosity. And he wasn't given a lot of layers or depth, although Brian Cox is great in the movie. But the movie is really about what it's like to a, a life of an FBI agent. And uh, this movie, I, I like that it's different. I like that it takes a different direction. And frankly, I really like Hannibal in this movie. I kind of missed him in the last 30 minutes. I, I wish there had been maybe more of him in the last act of this movie. One thing I noticed in this movie is, can you believe how much Anthony Hopkins aged in 11 years? I mean, it was just 11 years. I mean, it feels like, it sounds like a long time, but it's like saying, okay, we're going to make a, a, a prequel to a movie that came out in 2011 today. And uh, and we're going to take the star of it and and make it seem like it happened just before. I mean, it feels like you could do that today. Anthony yeah, but Hopkins not, looks not like 25 like, years older. <laughs> yeah, when you're going from like 50 to like like 61 or something, that's a that that is a there's a lot that's, of aging that happens there point. rather than like, you know, 30 to 40. I but had yeah. forgot. I'd forgotten about his ponytail at the beginning. Yeah. That was that was a Frank TJ Mackey ponytail. Like that was that was some awesome hairdo with him. That was great. Okay, let me tell you why Will Graham's better than Clarice. Um I think Will Graham is a better character than Clarice because Will Graham because of the history between Hannibal and Will going into it. I think Will is able to match wits with Hannibal where Hannibal is deconstructing and almost enabling Clarice like there there's much more of a of almost like a like a father-daughter relationship between Hannibal and Clarice where Will and Hannibal are on equal playing field and and they, they're able to combat each other in a way that that Clarice isn't um Clarice plays the victim the whole time where Will is the aggressor I feel I, it's it's a such a different relationship, and that's why I think Will is the better character than Clarice. Well, and Clarice doesn't have any side story in Silence of Lambs. She, she has no family that we see. She has no thing that makes her anything other than an FBI agent, uh, like a what? rookie FBI agent. The only thing, the, the main thing we have is that Crawford has a thing for her. That's absolutely ridiculous. There is a lot of backstory with Clarice in Silence of the Lambs. You don't see the it. Title of the movie. Yeah, we yeah. Do. well, there's there's a few flashbacks with her father. They were screaming. Why wasn't yeah. Holly Hunter Clarice? I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> a good question. She played a Clarice-like character in Copycat. I mean, she sounds like Clarice in every movie she's ever made. 
She was wise. Maybe they <laughs> offered her Hannibal and she was wise to turn that down. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I completely disagree with Zach you guys. Zach was one of the fans of the Clarice TV show that got canceled after five episodes. I've never seen a second of Clarice. I saw a and lot a of advertisements for it during NFL games <laughs> uh, in the 2014 season or whatever, whenever it came out. I completely it was a crappy show. It was last I year. I think it was last year. Was it? Oh, I felt like it was a long time ago. It, it, it was basically just a procedural cop show. It, it wasn't anything special. They just well, like slapped the Clarice March name on it. 2021. They slapped really? the Clarice name okay. on it just simply to tie it to something to try and get Listen, viewers. I completely disagree with you guys. I don't want to argue about it, though. I think we should move on to something more interesting. But there is no, in no universe is Will Graham a tenth of the character that Clarice is. You, you, are, you are deadly wrong. We should put this on Twitter as a poll. Who's the more interesting character? Well, they're, they're all going to say Clarice because nobody's seen Red Dragon. We've talked. No, we've we've established this. But, and, and, and nobody watched Hannibal, even though it had like what four or five seasons on NBC. It was the best show NBC was, ever put out. And they were just like, and nobody really watched it. But it was so good. Yeah, they kept I need it going. to go back that's and true. finish that. I never watched like the last season or two of Hannibal. I need to, I need to finish it. What is unique about Will Graham besides his hair and his boat? Nothing. He's, he's like, said, he, he's the one that he's like what Seth Hannibal. Rogen says about Matthew Fox. Nothing. What's interesting about that guy? Nothing. He's an asshole. I don't know. There's nothing interesting about Will Graham. He was at one of the weak points of the movie for me, as great as, as Edward Norton was. Although no goatee in this movie, I think that could have helped. But uh, just uh, I, I was missing Clarice quite a bit. I understand, though. I, I understand where you Never guys are coming Clarice. from. I, yeah, I, yeah, we loved Clarice and Hannibal. Yeah, like you just like you just said, we're missing that, that was, character that so much because you know was... you can't screw up that character because the last movie was so good, right? No, it wasn't. I think you guys are one hundred percent entitled to your beliefs. I, that's why I don't want to belabor the point. I, I, it's fine. It's fine. You like Sansa but... Lambs more. I got it. Right, right. And, but and you don't like probably... Clarice more because you would have okay. liked Hannibal more. No, but the, but they they really messed up the character in that movie, though. Because like the character is was... easy to mess up because it's not that interesting. We got it. Yeah, we, we figured it out. Okay, moving on. <laughs> they messed up because she can't match wits with Hannibal like Will can. Oh, now, I what would have made what would have made Hannibal an interesting movie is if Clarice called Will to help her find him. Now there that would have made an interesting movie. Yes. Instead of her trying to do it on her own. What if she had bought him new aftershave? <laughs> That could have been an entire episode on its own. All right. So uh, our Mount Rushmore to uh, commemorate Red Dragon is going to be in honor of... There was a lot of things we could have, could have done here, but um, what we decided to do is in honor of Emily Watson's character, Reba, we are doing a Mount Rushmore of blind characters in movies. Blind characters it's not like one. not like you know jack saying to miles you're blind dude actual blind, blind. Dude. not metaphorically actual blind, blind. yeah, yeah actual it can't blind. be fake blind like jenny tatum and dog where was that was gonna be an honorable mention i watched dog this week by the way <laughs> okay. what do you do you agree it's it's a, it's a thrice approved movie right it, it's a thrice it's gotta be movie. it's it, it was great it was great <laughs> it's a very I disagree good with your point about comparing it to vengeance last it's week, better than vengeance it's not better than vengeance. Yeah. And and the point you had was horrible. But yeah, I don't uh, think it made any connection at all. But yeah, I think Dog is better than Vengeance, but But um, it it is a great movie. Three and a half stars. There we um, go. Um all right, are we saying Emily Watson is a 
or in in this is that a, a consensus pick or are we just gonna see how this plays out first uh, i'm okay either way out. let's see how it plays out okay let's just go let's go with it todd you're starting uh okay um <laughs> I mean, the, the first one that came to mind is not the one I'm going to choose, but but I do really like the movie. We, I don't think we'll ever talk about it unless I choose it as a deep dive at some point. Um, I'm going to go with Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Yes. Because that... Nice. I mean, the, the idea of it is great. And the, the 2003 movie is is generally a really great movie. And having a, a blind samurai is uh, it's pretty awesome. And that, that character should be... Uh, I mean, we should reboot that or something at this point, I think. Blind Swordsman. Great Criterion box set, too. Okay. Zach, you're next. Okay, I had a lot of uh, choices, uh, many, many characters to think of. Um, I might be stealing Terry's. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm going to go I've with I've got it. like three, so... I guarantee you're not stealing the one Terry wants to choose. Okay, that's good. I've got so... three I'm trying to pick between. I'm going to go with Virginia Cheryl as the blind girl in City Lights, which I guarantee okay. you Terry was thinking about. That was on my list, yeah. But, you know, it's maybe the greatest ending in movie history. It's it's a movie that, um, according to the website, I've only cried once at movies, but that's not true. I, I've cried at the end of City Lights, just like everybody who's actually ever watched City Lights. And uh, I don't remember too much about her character, but she does she is blind and she falls in love with with the tramp and uh, she knows it's him maybe he was wearing bad aftershave as well that might have contributed to it but uh yes uh, the greatest ending in movie history the greatest chaplain moment in his career and uh virginia cheryl um as the blind girl that's that's her her name in the movie um died in 1996 lived a nice long life um, maybe a possible paramour of uh, Charlie Chaplin. I'm not sure, but uh, you got to go with her if we're talking movie history. Yeah, like she's the iconic. You you've got to you've got to mention her. Um, I I could have argued that would have been a, a good a good consensus one. Yeah. Um, all right, crap. Well, who's the one that Terry wants to go with? Now I'm curious. You had my attention. I've got now you two. Have my curiosity. Well done. Well done. All right. Uh, mm, mm. Just say, Hoo-ah! I know that's one of them. That's definitely one of Just them. Just go with it, Terry. Come no, on. No, I'm going to go with Audrey Hepburn and wait until dark. That's a great choice. Um, Because that, that movie is brilliant and she's able to better a group of, a group of thieves, even though she's blind, just because she knows her, she knows her apartment. And uh, it's an amazing movie. And I know Zach hasn't seen it. Nope. But um, he needs to. Uh, yeah, Audrey Hepburn, Wait Until Dark. It's a brilliant movie, and it's a brilliant performance, and it's a brilliant character. But yeah, yeah. the other one was Al Pacino, Scent of a Woman. Colonel Frank Slade. I was also considering The Blind Man in Don't Breathe, which is a great one, and it would be the one Adam would choose. Um, I haven't seen that one. Uh, and then uh, the one that the first one I thought of was uh, Morgan Freeman in Unleashed. Oh, wow. And I know we're never going to talk about that movie unless I choose it as a deep dive, but that is a really good movie and a really good performance and a great blind character. See, the other one, which I kind of feel like is cheating, like, you can't go with Ray, right? No. 
Yeah, I was that, gonna say like non-real care, non-real yeah, people. Yeah, that's that that's that's kind of cheating. Because otherwise, the miracle worker would have been Zach's choice. Right. And I I, w- I will say, yeah, I did write down honorable mention Channing Tatum for five minutes and dog. I wrote down right. a few. I I had I had Rex in Babe because he's going blind. I also thought about L Driver, um, blind at the end of the movie? Question mark. Um, <laughs> Is that considered blind when you don't have any eyes? <laughs> I think that's I, the definition I would say of so. Okay. I also I also thought about the drug dealer in Minority Report. Um, he has the line, "In the land, as my daddy used to say, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king." That would have been a good quote of the day. Um, also, William Fickner in Contact, which is a movie that will never deep dive, but I would like to, and then. Apparently, Mila Kunis played a blind girl in an episode of Baywatch. I've always wanted to watch that episode. I've never been able to find it, but she did that interview in Britain um, when she was promoting Oz the Great and Powerful. It's a great YouTube clip, and she talks about how she was a blind girl on Baywatch. Wow. And Madeline, Madeline Stowe in Blink. That's, that's, a good, that's a good movie. That's a banger. I'll also say uh, The Entire World in Blindness. Yeah, I was also thinking the entire world in Bird Watch, Bird Box. Oh yeah, there's that one too. All right, so so what what's the consensus one here? Can can we say Scent of a Woman? I mean, it got Pacino as Oscar. I mean, I'm okay with that or Emily Watson, honestly. What? Yeah, I, I, I think I like I think L the Driver, Pacino, but the Pacino L Driver's not a bad one either. But but I mean, Pacino's about as iconic as you get. Can you give me some John Daniels? Isn't it Jack Daniels? Well, when you have known him as long as I have. That's a joke. I mean, Colonel Frank Slade is pretty iconic. I I think we kind of have to go with that one. I, I like do. it. All right. Let's do it. We'll do it. Okay. So we've got uh, the blind swordsman. We've the got the girl, girl in City Lights. We've got Audrey Hepburn in Wait Until Dark. And we've got Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. See, I didn't pick Scent of a Woman because I thought it had a chance to be the non-negotiable. Or wait until dark had no chance to be the non-negotiable. So I was playing the game a little bit there. That's a killer list. I do think Channing Tatum should be like the William Taft <laughs> pick. <laughs> I mean, I, I it, it could be. It could be. He played a pretty convincing uh, fake blind man. I can I can see. <laughs> what? All right. Let's get into uh, to recasting now. Of, uh, of Red Dragon. This one is interesting for several reasons. One, last year we did a deep dive of Silence of the Lambs, so we've already done a recasting of Lecter and Crawford of what they would look like today. Um, and I think we all agree that the best option for Hannibal Lecter is Peter Dinklage. Um, of course. If it's not mods. If it's not mods. Uh then the other thing is that, I mean, this is a movie starring Edward Norton. We've already recast a 2002 Edward Norton movie. Uh, this also has in it uh, Emily Watson. We've already recast an Emily Watson 2002 movie. This movie also has Philip Seymour Hoffman. We've already recast two other 2002 Philip Seymour Hoffman movies. So this this made this recasting a little difficult because we were recasting the same actors from the same year and who would be playing them today. So 
we had I, I had to get a little creative in this. So we'll see how it went. But uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Will Graham played by uh, as as Zach would say, unmemorably by Edward Norton, a blonde Monty Brogan. Um, Zach, you get to start Worst us take out. of the podcast. Blonde, that is blonde a- no, no facial hair, no leather jacket, no dog, no drugs, no cool friends, no Steve McQueen poster. Yeah, he's just like he was in 25th Hour at Green. Just Lane. like it. He's focused on his boat in Florida. I mean, who the who the hell is he? Tim Robbins in the Shawshank Redemption? I mean, like, what what is this guy's life? Like, it's just not not nearly as compelling, sadly. Anyway, uh, I, I feel I hold on. Just one okay. really quick. I would say I would say Edward Norton in this is more like a blonde Bruce Banner. Like that's a little more like what what he's going for. And and I don't the, know if that helps. The, the new incredible or the, his Incredible Hulk movie. That that's. Okay. That's I th- I feel like is a little closer to what he's doing here. Anyways, go ahead, Zach. I don't know if that was a point worth making, but I like it. Okay, so it's better than saying it's twenty fifth hour just simply because it was the same year. There's the better point was Todd's point about uh, uh, the Italian job. That was actually a good point. He, he, there's a, there's a bit of that Italian job character mostly in his hair. Anyway, um, I thought about the biggest word that came to me was bland. I thought about blandness. But like, not like a bad bland, just like a bland that you accept him as a main movie character hero. And we've talked about on this podcast in the last few months. Well, we didn't talk about it, but we we reacted to it differently. Um, the idea of a of a bland protagonist in a big budget movie, and we all agreed that he was good, uh, but he was uh, bland. And that, to me, that distinction goes to the one and only. From the Sex and the City TV show spinoff, Mr. Austin Butler. I mean, he is bland. I could not recognize him on the street. And yet, I think he would do a good job in this role. Like, I could absolutely, I could actually see it. Like, he's apparently a good actor. He was Tex in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Rewatched that scene not too long ago. And he's actually way good in that. I think, I dare say he's better in that movie than he is in Elvis. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would go for it. I, I, I you know blandness is is a a, a, a a starring feature of his personality you wouldn't be able to recognize him on the street because you've never seen what he actually looks like that's a good point yeah and and i think we've just eclipsed the best the, the quote of the of the podcast austin butler in once upon a time in hollywood way good he was way good he was what? way good in that movie as tex <laughs> even even brad pitt couldn't remember him at first He's like, were you uh, something dumber than that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the way he would have described him, all grammatically correct and stuff. All right. Well, I'll go next because speaking of Bullet Train and Brad Pitt, my pick for Will is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Nice. Like I, I, because Will needs a, a certain level of intensity, but a certain level of just having like a look of intelligence to him at the same time and ha- being calm, cool, collected. And I think Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's played villains a lot recently, but I think he could pull off a role like this. So I'm, I'm going with him. Yeah. Fun. I mean, that, yeah, that would be fun. It's almost too easy though. He, the, he could almost play any role. Has he ever had a lead role though, besides kick-ass? Oh, he was the, he, wasn't he young John Lennon in, yeah, um, in his wife's yeah. movie? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 
it's a good pick, but it's almost like it's almost like a Jesse Plemons pick. It's almost Miles too much Teller. Yeah. See, I thought Early Miles Teller. Miles Teller would be perfect, obviously. <laughs> he would be. He would be. I was also thinking maybe Glenn Powell. I mean, just go full Top Gun Maverick here. Actually, that's a good pick because he's got blonde hair. And probably wears I mean, that aftershave. That's so, so Todd, so Todd, if you can't pick Hugh Dancy, who are you picking to uh, to be uh, Will? Well, I mean, my character is probably, or my actor is probably too old, but it also seemed like it was almost cheating. I, I had said Andrew Garfield. Oh, he, yeah, he yeah, probably has that kind of persona, and he had his own series of movies, the Red Riding series. I think it was early 2000, 2010s, that he's playing a similar type of thing to uh, Will Graham and. Uh, that's he would cool. own. He would absolutely own his program. Could we have Toby Maguire come back as the previous old uh, uh, Will Graham? <laughs> the, what the nineteen eighty six version? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Toby Peterson wouldn't character. be a. Toby wouldn't be horrible. He wouldn't be horrible. Well, he's way too old now. Like, <clears throat> yeah, he's at least fifteen years too old. All right, Francis That's Dollar Hyde. At all, <clears throat> Francis Dollar Hyde, the Tooth Fairy. Played by Ray Fiennes. I mean, he's menacing. I almost said he's in the most menacing you'll see him, but I mean, this is this is a guy who played a Nazi, so uh, we can't quite say that. And Voldemort. He and Voldemort. <laughs> I mean, in his third most menacing role. And his character played. in Bruges. He also yeah, dated Jennifer menacing. Lopez and made pretty, Manhattan. Pretty badass. That's he pretty, did, he that's pretty sinister that. as well. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. All right. Well. <laughs> Zach, who's your Francis Dollarhide? Okay, well, uh, they do talk about Francis Dollarhide as someone who's ripped, so that would almost automatically uh, make my pick impossible. But listen, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've talked about this actor who should have won Best Supporting Actor last year as, as a great potential villain. He would have made Anthony Perkins and Psycho look great in the Psycho remake. I'm going KSP, Cody Smith-McPhee, as the, the timid, obsessed, deranged, but slightly intriguing in, um, with a re- weird cleft palate issue, um, Francis Allerhyde, abused, tortured, um, awkward with women, not a great stick man, uh, but possesses a, a unique quality to him, and uh, I, I, I like it. He would be a great... He would be a... No, what did I... Uh, He's he's a good actor. He's good. Potentially a bodybuilder, Cody Smith. I said that would disqualify him. I realize it. You'd have to change some of the dialogue about it, but it would probably be more of a tramp stamp than an actual tattoo. Yeah, it wouldn't be nearly as impressive (laughs) on him. Uh, All right. Uh, So I was talking to my wife about this because we we watched a movie together uh, yesterday, and her pick for for the Tooth Fairy today would have been Bradley Cooper. Which mm. no, I don't know if that necessarily works. He's a little He's not going to break into song point. with Lady Gaga. It's not going to happen. Um, my but my pick is Sebastian Stan. He's kind of showed that he can do a little bit of everything. He's got the body for it. He definitely do um, it. Played a serial he, killer this year. <laughs> yeah. It well and and yeah, he showed he can he can be a villain. Um, I have a, I have another honorable mention, but I'm going to wait to see what Todd says first before I say it. Well, I mean, the, the, obviously, it's Adam Driver. It's that it's was my honorable yeah. mention, <laughs> which is why I, I went with uh, a, di- a different route other than Adam Driver, and I said Trevante Rhodes 
because he actually oh, is like a beast. He's a uh, he played what college football at Texas. Like he's a monster dude, and uh, he would be a terrifying tooth fairy. Nice, nice. All right, let's go to uh, let's see here. Let's go to Reba, played by Emily Watson. Zach, who who are you recasting as Emily Watson this time? Uh, this time, um, I'm going to go with, uh, Olivia Dijon, who played, um, Priscilla Presley in Elvis. And originally she was going to be my pick for Will Graham's wife, but you asked the question who would play Reba first. So I'm going to go with Olivia Dijon first. She was also apparently in the visit in the sisterhood of night. I don't know. I, I, I'm totally prepared for this. I absolutely prepared for it. If you can't tell, I, listen. I want to talk about Emily Watson in the movie, but I'll hear what you guys say first. I don't know. It was a hard, it, hard role to recast. I think it, it was, and, and for the same reason, it was a hard role to recast in Punch Drunk Love, just because she had in, in 2002. She had this way about her that is hard to, hard yeah, pinpoint. to pinpoint and hard to find in today's actresses. Um. I have I have one written down, but I just came up with one that I might like more, and so I'm just gonna say both of them. So the one I've written down is Karen Gillan, uh, probably most known for being Nebula in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. She was in what was that, um, the milkshake, what call it movie? Gunpowder gun milkshake. Gunpowder milkshake. Yeah, she was in that earlier this year. Uh, I think she would she would be an interesting one in there. But the other one that I just thought of, which might be. I mean, it's kind of typecasting a little bit because her breakout role was very similar, and that's Olivia Cook, um, who basically played this role in Bates Motel. Yeah. But she's great at it. Was she blind in that show? No, but she had an oxygen tank. Oh. She she was she was uh Norman Bates's wounded wounded girl. Got it. In in the in the show. Yeah. Um, for mine, the, the one I was thinking of, that would be almost too easy. She had like, she, uh, she has those big old eyes and she, uh, and when I'm thinking of her, it's in scream Queens and she had a issue with her ears. She had an issue with her eyes. It's Billy Lord. Uh, I think she could easily oh. play that role. But the one I want to say, since I have Trevante Rhodes as Francis Dollarhide, I have uh, Lupita Nyong'o, which wouldn't be too out of the realm of possibility because, Emily Watson had a couple nominations by this point. Lupita Nyong'o easily could play a blind girl, I think. And it'd be fascinating. I don't know if she could have the sort of timing that Emily Watson does, but it'd be interesting. I could see that. I could see that. All right. Well, let's go to the other uh, the other female in this, and that is Molly Graham, Will's wife, played by Mary Louise Parker. Zach, what do you got? Okay, I'm going to switch my... I'm going to say that Olivia Dijon would have been better as Molly. And I'm going to go with the Emily Watson character as uh, Thomas and McKenzie. She kind of looks that. like her. She does look like Emily Watson. Yes. That's a great call. She's a little young, but it would, a little. It would work. But my tooth fairy is Cody Smith McPhee. So yeah. that's, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. That, that, that's a, that, that needs to be like a, a romantic drama right there. Cody Smith McPhee and Thomas and McKenzie. Well, they were both uh, in Power of the Dog. Maybe my my 
remake is directed by Jim Campbell. Sure, isn't All right, my my Molly is uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I mean, she kind of looks like Mary Louise Parker a little bit. So, and I, I think I she's got a little spunk to her. I think it would work. I'm not really sure why we're recasting this role. She doesn't really <laughs> do anything. I, I, I went with it was, an, it, was a, it was a recognizable actress. I think that was really it. Yeah, because there wasn't a whole bunch of other ones of those in this movie. Uh, I said uh, Alicia Cuthbert just because, I mean, she hasn't been anything forever and she needs to come back. Why not make her the wife role? She had like to dye that. her hair though, so that would make her uncastable, like Zach would say. Probably, probably. What's she done lately? She been in anything? Exactly. That's why I said it. It's like seeing a brunette girl next door. I mean, okay. Twenty-four and... sequel movie TV thing. I don't know. Okay, moving on. Freddie Lowndes, Zach, for the third time this year, who are you recasting in as Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this one was, I mean, could anyone, could, I, no one's going to be as good as Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this movie. So like, why? I Except think for, I think my original idea was my remake would not have this character in it because as good as Philip Seymour Hoffman was, I never felt like his character was very necessary in the movie. Um, I think this is just a, a long-winded way of me trying to, to buy time here. Um, I, I don't. I really have no idea who I'd go with. Um, maybe I would go with um, I, Simon Rex. That's not bad, actually. Someone sleazy. <laughs> bad. Someone who has charisma. Someone who could do a nude scene, um, and someone who would be burned alive. To some system satisfaction. <laughs> Thank you for the moral support, Terry. Yeah, that's not bad. I, I actually don't mind that. I, I was I was looking and uh, when we did this last time uh, for Punch Drunk Love, I recast Philip Seymour Hoffman as Adam Driver just because I wanted to see Adam Driver yelling on the phone. Um, when we did it for Twenty Fifth Hour, I said Jesse Plemons. I just cheated. Um, for this one, for Freddie Lowndes, I said Harry Melling who uh, mm. is most known for being Dudley from the Harry Potter movies, but he's gone on to do a bunch of other things. Like that one movie we reviewed a couple of years ago. Yeah, The Old Guard. The Devil all the, the time. Oh, yeah. oh, the Devil Sharon. all the time. Yes. Um, he's uh, he's the the um, the orator with no arms and no legs in, uh, in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, wow. Anyways, he's kind of got a punchable face, which is what you need in a Freddie Lowndes uh, actor. And so we may be talking about that category later. Did we yes. ever see how about Zoe Kazan as Emily Watson? I mean, yeah, that, I can see that too. Sorry. I didn't mean to derail. Okay. By the way, I would, I just went back Zoe and looked. Kravitz. Uh, I, uh, yeah, that's not I, bad either. Zoe last time... Oh wait, no, I, I had this wrong. Never mind. Go ahead, Todd. Uh, well, in the TV show, they recast Freddie Lowndes and they changed it to F-R-E-D-D-I-E and it made it a girl. So you could do that. But I mean, for Freddie Lowndes, you, you really just need like the slimy, annoying, punchable face. And that is Paul Dano. Mm. Oh, good one. I couldn't come up with another one. <laughs> 
So, uh, so the last time we uh, we recast some of these characters in Silence of the Lambs, uh, I recast Chilton as Josh Lucas just because I said he was another one that had a punchable face, and I recast Crawford as David Schwimmer. Nice. That does sound like a Terry recasting. <laughs> but it works, though, right? It works. I should have re- looked at my stuff. That would have been. But then again, I don't know. We have yeah, we have done these actors a few times, so yeah. These characters and the and characters these multiple times. Maybe yeah. bi- maybe Billy Crudup as Freddy. That could almost work. Oh. Billy Crudup as Crawford <laughs> or Chilton. I mean, <laughs> or Will. <laughs> or I mean, yeah. He might, I think he's a little too old for Will now. But who would Nicolas Cage play? Uh, I, depending on the time of his career, right, he would play yeah. Dollar Hyde in the early 90s when he was doing like Zandali and like stuff like that where he's like dousing himself with with uh ink and all that stuff i think he that's also what, could have done it in 2002 could have uh, yeah that's true and uh you, in the mid 90s like will graham is like a stock nicholas cage character that is his character in the rock you know like th- th- those are those are the characters that he would have played if it was made 1996 1998 somewhere in there I went with uh, Nicolas Cage as the Red Dragon in the painting. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Terry. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> Just that, that standard meme face of Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I said I said if it was made 20 years ago, if you needed to recast Dollar Hyde, it'd be Nicolas Cage. Today, he'd play Crawford. Probably. Yeah, t- taking the character that Harvey Keitel had in National Treasure and bringing it a full circle, right? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. I like that. I like that. So um, what does Adam think this movie's about? Oh. Really quick, I was just going to throw out there, in the Hannibal TV show, Crawford was played by Lawrence Fishburne. That's right. Um. All right, I say Adam thinks this movie is... Uh, uh, Bruce Lee comes back to destroy communist China, so it's a red dragon. <laughs> Enter the red dragon. Well, see, I, I think he takes it in the Game of Thrones realm and says it's a oh. it's a spoof of the red wedding with dragons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has he seen this movie? <laughs> he has. He has. <laughs> I said that. It was uh, Hannibal Lecter having dementia and not remembering whether he's talking to Clarice or Will Graham because he's suffering from mental decline. So instead of this is my flat, this is my cell. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is my cell. Uh, Where was I? (laughs) I'm going to eat his liver. No, that was the last movie. Um, I like it. All right. Highest war performance. Uh, Todd. Uh, I mean, that's difficult. I know. Why am I first? Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Edward Norton because, like I said before, it is a better actor than the movie deserved. Like, this is a popcorn type of thriller, and Edward Norton is a better actor, and that's what elevates it to being a truly great movie. Which it is, and um, Edward Norton in that role just just brings uh, a level of intensity. And yeah, like Terry was saying, like 
some like incredible hulk ish kind of like investigative thing like intelligence and so edward norton is is hard to top when you're going for something like that i agree i agree that's a good one zach okay so i really had not remembered anything about this movie uh except for one you gave it three and a half stars yeah well exactly i saw it 20 years ago (laughs) um the only thing I remembered about it was Emily Watson. And so I'm going to go Emily Watson as the highest war performance. Um, for me, she was the most memorable part of the movie. I think her character is really fascinating. Um, maybe it's part of how the character is written. So I'll give the the, the writer credit for that. But uh, I don't know. She's she's really great. Um, it was also a movie that I, it's kind of a role that I sort of thought like Nicole Kidman in 2002 could have done. Um I think she's a, a, a really fascinating character that has a lot of dimension to her. Um, obviously, someone with who's really independent, um, who has sexual desire, who has agency. Um, sort of a rarity for a character with a with a disability. And I, I like the, the way that the movie portrays her. And I think Emily Watson's just really good in it. And you could not find a more different role than Lena in Punch Drunk Love. So I think it just kind of shows her versatility. But uh, to me, watching the movie again, I was kind of struck the same way I was 20 years ago. Like, I think the movie really could have just been about Emily Watson. And she, she, I think, transcends what is a stock character into something kind of interesting and different. It's the same character that she plays in Punch Drunk Love. I said that last time, and I, <laughs> I stick with it. The exact same character. I, 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 dis, I disagree. I, I disagree, Gary. I... I agree with the fact that she is gives a very high war performance. Um, I will say I'm going to assume that uh, that Anthony Hopkins is ineligible for this because, I mean, he he's it's iconic that he's he's uh, Hannibal Lecter. I I'm going to go with Ray Fiennes. Uh, he there's some to him. I mean, he's a very likable guy. Like, he can play the protagonist in so many movies, but he is so good at playing the villain every time he does it. I mean, he he made Voldemort creepy. He is, I mean, everyone for so long thought of him as the crazy, uh, the, the crazy Nazi from Schindler's List. But then he's also got, like, the English patient, and he's got these other movies where he's thought to be like this completely other guy. But in this, just the way he is and the way he approaches this role is menacing. And, uh, and he's great. He's great in this, in this part. So he's going to, he'll be the one I go with. Also his scar looks absurdly real. Like, I mean, I, it's hard to tell if it's actually, if it actually is real or not. I know it's not, but which is why I was thinking like that would have been a perfect like Michael Kenneth Williams role because his scar actually is real and that would be making it that would make the whole like facial thing even more um, poignant when when that comes up you know but sadly we couldn't do that. I All think right. one of my issues with Ray Fiennes in this movie is that this role was portrayed better before and it was Donnie Wahlberg in the first fifteen minutes of The Sixth Sense and basically the same character in a lot of ways and donnie Wahlberg was much better at it but Ray one side of the character one side of the character I, sure but this also not a great that's good for a movie i think buffalo bill is way more interesting than 
than the tooth fairy. No, no. Well, that was also something you said earlier in the podcast that I completely object to. Um, That's because, yeah, I mean, you're blind to everything of your favorite movies. <laughs> All right. Zach, you're first for the Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance. I really want to give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman because this is the closest we will ever give Philip Seymour Hoffman a, a Worst Performance Award, right? I mean, he's not that great in this movie. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad performance. It's more of a novelty thing. I just want to give it to him because we'll never give it to him in any other movie. Um, should I do it? I don't know. There's not, there's not a... Here's the performance that I really think, honestly, is the worst performance, which is Harvey Keitel. Uh, because, again, this is Harvey Keitel in basically what Julianne Moore was doing in Hannibal, doing a not-so-great impersonation of a character that was much better in the original movie. Um, so I reluctantly give it to Harvey Keitel, but a part of me wants to give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman just for the novelty of it. I will say I agree with you in that I liked Scott Glenn more than I liked Harvey yeah. Keitel's Crawford. Yeah. Harvey Keitel um, does that in his sleep, though. I mean, right. He's sleepwalking right. through the role. I more yeah. agree with Philip Seymour Hoffman because, yeah, I mean, it is probably in his bottom five performances, but it's still, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. It, it, was, it was surprising, you know, because going back to rewatching this movie, I was like, oh, damn, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I barely remember him in this movie. I, had, I didn't even really remember his role at all. And uh, it was sort of a disappointment. There's no freak out scenes. There's, there's no nothing. It's, it's sad, you know, and it's not like you really need more of that character. I just, I, I wanted more. I don't know. It was... it, it's it's possibly the 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 biggest surprise I had watching it was just how small that role was, and and, and how I mean he was getting to be something. I agree with Todd's recasting of Paul Dano though. That's that's pretty spot on. Yeah, it's pretty great. Well, that's and the, great. the character is more important in the show, like because I mean you get the backstory more of like uh, of why this character is so just like hated by everybody because I mean they're a tabloid writer and stuff. You don't really get a whole lot of that in this movie. All all that though is is yeah, um, is come up with afterwards for the show. Then none of that's in the books. But okay, uh, my worst performance. I'm going with uh, Tim Weeder as the flautist at the beginning because he's a really bad. Mm -hmm. He's really bad at being bad. Yeah. <laughs> like he he's he's a bad actor in his badness. His so character name is the flautist. I mean, uh, okay. are we really missing him? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Amazing Larry, Big Tim. Hi, Wait, My worst performance. Oh, is... God. Sorry. My bad. Uh, I went with uh, Azura Sky as the bookseller. Uh, she, <laughs> she, she she doesn't I, I feel like she's just so disinterested in the movie she doesn't even believe her own lines and I don't know that she this? really what who who which character the bookseller bookseller who's that the book she worked she worked in the bookstore that she worked at the that, bookstore yeah that Will Graham goes to are you talking about the librarian yeah well her 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 character title name is bookseller oh, okay bookseller okay I know who you're talking about. She was someone that when she popped up, I was like, I recognize her. But then I she looked was... at what she'd been and I'm like, nope, she just must look like somebody else. Do you know what I wrote down when I saw that character in my notes was every 2002 movie had to have a manic, manic pixie dream girl. And that was this movie's <laughs> manic pixie dream girl. Pretty much. Pretty much. She should have been played by Zoe Deschanel. That's my oh, recast. That would have been good. 
that would have been good. All right, now, Amazing Larry, Big Tim High Roller, minor character of the film award. Uh, I get to go first on this one, and I am going with the one only Ralph Mandy, played by Frank Whaley. <laughs> well, <okay. laughs> he's the anti-stick man in this movie. He is He is definitely the anti-stick man. And uh, I, I don't know. It, I, feel, I feel like no movies, no good, you know, movie in this like 10 year span is complete unless frank whaley's getting shot so uh <laughs> um so yeah uh, he he showed up like oh yeah he's horrible oh hey he got shot again so uh there you go uh we're gonna go todd next uh i had a couple written down but i'll go with bill duke as the police chief because um, in that era he did that a lot like he would yep um i mean national security probably his most notable for me like he, he's awesome at that kind of again that kind of thing i mean it could have been anybody really but when bill duke shows up you're just like okay shit's about to get real and it doesn't really get real because i mean his, his part is like a scene and a half long but you know i know he showed up I'm like hey i forgot he was in this and then he was gone i'm like wait <laughs> what happened to him Zach, who do you got? Yeah, and sort of a similar pick. I went with um, Alex D. Lintz as Young Francis, voice of Young Francis, because he was like a go-to little kid, cute little kid actor from the 90s. Um, I'm looking at his IMDb here. He was the, the, the little kid in One Fine Day. He was the little kid in Home Alone 3, not Kevin, but Alex. Uh, he was young Tarzan in Tarzan. And he was young Kale in Titan AE. So I feel like there's more layers to that character. By the way, did you did you guys think, as I did, that uh, Francis's grandma was voiced by Ellen Burstyn? That was my other choice. Yeah, that was one of my choices, too. Yeah. That, you could tell when you know that going in. You could you could hear it. but Right. I, I also thought it was fascinating that the voice of the dragon was Franklin Jella. That I did not get until I, I just looked at that. But that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting pick as well. That's a that yeah that's a that's a minor character I'd want to know more about. Yep. All right. Stickman, douchebag. Zach. Well, I think you got to go with um, again maybe. Well, I was going to say quantity over quality, but I think there is some quality there, and that is that the patriarch of this movie, uh, Tom Verica as Charles Leeds. Um, definitely getting it in with his wife. His wife, fond of the bikinis. Um, he's sort of like got this voyeur, almost like peeping Tom. Like he's very much into filming his wife. Um, and uh, obviously with the amount of kids they have and the lifestyle they have, it affords him much luxury in the stickman department. Again, not so much about variety, but more about consistency. Um, and um yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the, the 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 mom in this movie, the lead's mom, could have been played by uh, Jennifer Coolidge if it was a late two thousands release. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, yeah, that character. He he says like, he's like, give me a kiss, the big romantic kind, and then you know, it's like, it's like yeah, I, I wrote him down too. <laughs> isn't isn't that even the one that where where the wife says we're gonna have to have the kids go to bed early tonight? Yeah, I mean, That's I mean, right. he's really the only option. Yes, he is. Unless you want to go ironic anti-stick man, which was your pick, Terry. But earlier. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, he, he was he was the anti-stick man. 
I mean, the only one that like in in the in the like full plot of this movie is Dollar Hyde. Yeah, I think you could yeah. make the lo- the low key case for him. There's, yeah, well, he, he has a line where he says, "Ride with me for my pleasure." Like, I mean, if, if you're not, if, if that's not a, like a porn line in 2002, I don't know what is. Now it's like, inter- uh, it's interesting. Like Dollar Hyde, I think goes on the Mount Rushmore of serial killer stickmen because there's not a whole lot out there. That I De- really Dexter is one. Okay, well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll trust you on that. But like, I can't think of a whole lot of stickmen that also were stickmen with a stick that killed people. You know. Like that's impressive to a large degree. Yeah. I and Francis and Charles Leeds were the two answers I had for Stickman. There are no other ones. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Uh one one minor character I forgot to mention is uh Mr. Fisk, the one who runs the Chromalux office. I thought he was pretty mm. cool. Cause uh, and I like how he was like, I can't give you that stuff. This is you don't have any proof. All you got is a hunch, and da, da, da. we have all these employees. And then, then they start describing goes, Oh, that sounds like Mr. D. Yeah, I'm gonna give him up because you just described this one employee we have perfectly, and you don't even know who he is. <laughs> one of the 380 people that work here, apparently, in this yeah. small office. Exactly. And he he's one of those guys, I feel like he's one of those guys, like we always go back to like the uh the the Nobel Prize guy from A Beautiful Mind. Like I feel like this guy awesome. could have yeah, I feel like like his name's Christopher Curry is the actor. He could have just like been that guy because he, he, you just walk him like, Oh yeah. He looks like the type of guy who would run like a low, a low level, like photo shop in the eighties. Well, I think that was Todd's point about Bill Duke in the early two thousands. I mean, he was yeah, yeah, he could have just been the police chief. <laughs> he probably was a police chief somewhere. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say it, it was, Oh, you need me. All right. Let me go get my, let me go get my uniform. <laughs> and he just owned his own. <laughs> All right, uh, Todd, Billy Bats douchebag. I mean, I only wrote down one. It was Freddie Lowndes because it's not. I mean, it's not going to change. He he is he is the biggest douchebag. He he does get his comeuppance though, which makes him almost less unsympathetic <laughs> because he does ride down the street in flames, but. <laughs> Did you guys um, think that that looked like a bad jackass stunt? <laughs> the arms were wagging. I, there's no way he was still alive. But like a terribly misguided jackass stunt that resulted in Wee Man's unfortunate departure much too early. <laughs> we, we, we Man, we Man is, is, is pretty lambs to be perfect. <laughs> but only if Peter Dinklage is Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now it all makes sense now. It all makes sense now. All right. Uh, my my douchebag, I mean Freddie Lowndes is is an obvious choice, but also I think like Mount Rushmore of douchebags in movies is Dr. Chilton. And he showed up again and he might His be worse. His face even, got bigger. He might be even <laughs> I, he did, it did. He might be worse of a douchebag in this than he is even is in Silence of the Lambs. And I I mean He's one of the few people, few characters that when you get to the end of Silence of the Lambs and you hear that he is about to get eaten by the bad guy, that you kind of, it's somewhere inside you, you cheer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- I think that's a good a good sign of a good douchebag. So. Zach. I always like Dr. Chilton. 
Um, He's the worst. Yeah, douchebag. Okay, uh, I went with Brett Ratner. Um, Sort of the obvious pick. But it made me think, has there ever been a, 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 a male, a guy named Brett who wasn't a douchebag? I, not that we have a very large sample size, but so it's because just... you're talking about uh, Frank Whaley or something, because he was in that scene with the Brett in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Look at the big brains on Brett. Exactly. Yes, I, I wasn't thinking that, but that does support my case. Uh, I mean, George Brett isn't a douchebag, but that's not his first name. That's true. Yeah, I was also thinking Brett Butler, who's a woman, was an honorary member. Also was a center fielder for the Giants and the Dodgers back in the early 90s. Uh, when I when I type Brett into uh, Google, the first name that comes up is Favre. Is, is he a douchebag? I don't know. I think he's a douchebag. Not, not in there's something about Mary, though. <laughs> uh, all right. What's the best scene? I think it is it my turn to go first. I think it's my turn to go first. Um, I think the best scene is uh, is Dollarhide revealing himself to Freddie Lowndes. Like that yeah, scene, that's probably the most iconic scene. It, it's it's the most iconic, but it's so good. And I mean, you you said this is the closest Philip Seymour Hoffman gets to being bad in a movie, but him in that scene just resurrects everything else that he did the rest of the movie. See, part of the problem with that is that I wish they had been flipped. I wish it had been Ray Fiennes strapped to the seat and Philip Seymour Hoffman (laughs) taking off his robe. This is Red Dragon, not Like he did in Twister. (laughs) (laughs) Ray Fiennes, I I really, really don't want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean... The, the whole time Freddie's trying he's trying to play him and it's not working and he's just along Did for the ride. Did Hoffman play a character named Freddie or am I making that up? Was his, I mean, what was his both character are name equally in, likely. What was his character name in about uh 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 you know um Along came Polly. Along came Polly, yeah. That had to be Freddie, right? No, it was Sandy. Sandy. Sandy oh, Lyle. Close. Okay. Freddie's the name of the doorman and almost famous Freddy! Freddy! <laughs> he played a, his character name in Talented Mr. Ripley was Freddy. Okay. Uh-huh. Interestingly. I don't, do you remember him in that movie? I don't I don't really remember him. Yeah, yeah. I've wanted to rewatch that for a while. Yeah. Sorry, he's Terry. Friend. I, yeah. That's fine. All right. Uh who's next? Todd, I think you're next. Uh, I really like the scene where Hannibal is hooked up to the chain and he's walking around in a circle because it reminded me of the scene in Breaking Bad where Jesse's hooked up to the chain thing and he can't go very far. Like, mm-hmm. but I mean, they don't they don't make him do like testing the like the the strength of the the ropes or anything. Or, but that that scene is really good though. Like it's it's really Hannibal playing with the fact that like Will is super afraid of him still and he's standing like so close to him and knows that he can't get there and he still is like pissing his pants like it's a it's a really great scene and a, probably the best showcase of hannibal in the whole sh- in the whole movie good pick, that is a good pick. In, 
it was interesting that they let him have that much freedom because it really seemed like he could have just lunged after uh, Will. But there were guards at the top. I, it seems like something that would only exist in a movie, but it was. I'm glad I watched it. Well, he negotiated his way to that point, right? Where he actually had room to he could walk within like a did he? I don't three foot, that. you know. I just remember he negotiated a, a, a scene of fine dining. He did. He did. Zach, what's the best scene? Well, I thought it was interesting. So my best scene is the opening scene of this movie. And this movie, I watching it again, is a pitch-perfect example of a movie that starts really good, and then the whole movie just gradually declines. And I think the worst scene in this movie is at the end of the movie. And I think the last, last 10, 15 minutes of this movie are truly awful in a way that only the early 2000s could have been. <laughs> like, truly, like, I was expecting, like, Appearances by David Duchovny in early 2000s pre-Monster Charlie's Theron. Like, really, really bad open, uh, last scene in this movie. However, um, the first scene is really good. I, I was like, damn, th this is actually a really good movie. I, the I orchestra? Yeah, the orchestra and the exchange between Will and Hannibal. That was oh, excellent. It's okay, I, that scene, okay. I guess yeah, it's, a whole, it's more of a sequence than a, a single scene, but that was a great way to start the movie, pre-credits. -cre pre like, it was a great way to show, introduce the characters, show backstory, show the antagonism between the characters, but show their dynamic, too. The fact that Will came to Hannibal basically to augment his investigations um, and, and that he got... He, Hannibal Hannibal was outdone like he like will actually beat him because Hannibal he he knew that Hannibal wouldn't have thought like that there was a misstep in it I thought that was a that was a great sequence great way to start the movie if you like that scene then you would have liked the Hannibal TV show because the I'm Hannibal sure TV would. show was all that yeah it was Hannibal free and will going to him for advice on how to catch killers yeah that that was really good the the All last right. scene awful. Do we I, how, I how many how many scenes in the early two thousands the kid the, the little kid oh yeah of course the, you know and the bullets through the doors come on. It doesn't it doesn't change the fact that it's still it's it's still a decent scene it's not a bad scene because it's pretty bad it's it's been done before. Every Him scene that's been done before is a bad that scene. way is it, like heroin and interesting though. And, it, yeah. and of course, Harvey Keitel calls him at the exact moment that the the killer shows up. Give me a break. The movie should have ended with uh, the interrogation of Emily Watson. End the movie there. Uh, I don't even think the book ends there. I think the book even goes back to the house like that. It's got to pay off the fact that he revealed the address. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I have on here that we added in last time a quote of the movie. Which is different than quote of the day. I don't know why I did that. Do you guys remember doing oh, this? I think it was the regal quote of the movie. Oh, that's what it was. What would be the regal quote of the movie? Does anyone remember this, this movie, though? That's the problem. The regal quote of the movie. Nobody remembers Punch Truck Love either. <laughs> no, I like pudding was the quote, the regal quote from Punch Truck Love. I, I think the regal quote like from Hawaii Punch Truck Love would have been shut, 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 shut up. That would have been the regal quote. Uh, what I wrote down is "You're insane," because I, I yeah, just think that's a great that's, that's a great moment. Because it's like it's like, of course, you had a disadvantage. What's that? You're insane. I, I just thought that was a good a good line. Or 
Or do you see? Do you see? Do you see? I like the line when Will is investigating the first murder. He says, you took your, your gloves off, you son of a bitch. <laughs> That's a good line, too. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, did you have one? No, I, I don't remember. I didn't remember that we had to do that, so I didn't come up with anything. But those ones are good ones. <laughs> All right. I now have it off. written down as regal quote of the movie. So now we now we, we will know a little okay. bit more what it is. Okay. If there were a sequel, do we really have to talk about this? Uh, are we That's talking a about a good question? A, a movie that had two sequels that happened before this movie actually was released, and then subsequently has had another prequel and two prequel TV shows, or a prequel TV show and a sequel TV show. I don't. I don't have anything else. <laughs> I'm confused. Just like the plot of Bullet Train. It's just... I I want to see uh, a. Uh, a, t- a a movie about um, Tangerine and Lemon, uh, you know, getting hunted by Hannibal Lecter. I don't know. Yes. There we go. All right. Flaws, outdated conspiracy theories. Or if you have any outdated conspiracy theories that are flawed. <laughs> I, okay. The only thing I had written down was that, like, when Will gets to the, the Leeds house, he goes up to the door and he turns the key toward the door. So if it was an act, if it was a real door, he would have been locking it, not unlocking it. And he did that with both locks. So I, hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> There's no way. Like, I mean, no door is made like that. You don't turn the key toward the door in order for it to unlock the other way. That's valid. That's valid. Hmm. That was all I had. I didn't have anything. Zach, do you have anything? Yeah, I had a few. Um, do you know who the editor of this movie was? My LVP, Mark Helfrich. Yeah, Oregon uh, 2014 <laughs> National Championship coach uh, Mark Helfrich made some, made some bad decisions in that game versus the <laughs> guys and made some maybe worse decisions in this in this movie. Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, first of all, uh, Mr. Medcalf, uh, the kindly Southern probate lawyer, was not played by David Strathern in Suspenders. Oh, uh, Missed opportunity. Me. Yeah, missed opportunity there. Um, I thought uh, the Atlanta Police Department, I was trying to look for some connection between um, the Atlanta PD and Howard Payne's missing finger and speed. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm, I'm not quite sure how to get there. Maybe uh, Francis bit it off or something like that. I don't know. I got nothing. And then here's the main point that I wanted to make. And this was one of the questions I had on trivia. Okay, help me out here for a second. Duchess is the dog that is in the Leeds family. Duchess is also the name of Buffalo Bill's dog that Erica Hahn steals, Dr. Erica Hahn steals and takes to the, the well at the bottom of the basement. What is going on there? That is not on accident, right? There's no way you could have two Duchess. Two, oh, is it precious? Wait a second. That's what the question said that you asked. Yeah. Maybe I'm confusing the names Precious and Duchess. Maybe it was Precious. I think it was Duchess. Duchess was the name of the dog. Now that you say that, that was the name. So it was Duchess in, in Red Dragon. In Red Dragon. Precious in Silence was of the Lambs. Was in Silence of the Lambs. In Re- okay, well, that solves my question. I thought it was the same name. Obviously, similar sounding names. And I was like, what the hell? Like, is it literally, as I was watching this movie, I was like, wait, is 
is this how they're going to tie in Buffalo Bill with the with the dog? And it looked like the exact same dog. Wasn't there a movie named Duchess in 2009? Yeah, with and, Duchess. Or was it and there was also a movie named Precious yeah. in 2000. And that's what I mean. Like you had mentioned that in the trivia. Yeah, that's like, a great Precious. conspiracy theory. I'm wondering <laughs> if the producers knew that. They saw Red Dragon. Oh, and, and the Duchess the had Ray Fiennes, right? Did it? I think you're right. That's a, wow. It all comes. That was together. 2008, though. Yeah, because it was the same year as Embrasure. Remember that? Wow. wow. That's amazing. Yep. That's what that's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> no one else is giving you content like that. <laughs> My, my one conspiracy theory is I'm going to say that uh, Molly Graham turns out to be the main character in Weeds, both played by Mary Louise Parker. Nice. Wouldn't it make sense if Will Graham's wife ended up selling weed? Yeah. Yeah. What about the kids? What are they doing? I don't know. I thought the opening sequence had a little bit of a Walt and Hank confrontation dynamic, like in the garage. In, in season season six episode one of Breaking Bad, like the confrontation, oh, okay. there was a little bit of Walt and Hank there. Um, I also wrote, uh, oh yeah, yeah, you guys aren't going to get this reference. Maybe Adam will, but the whole like um, <laughs> projection, like slideshow that Francis gives Freddie, very reminiscent of Joan Cusack at the end of Adam's Family Values. It was a Malibu Barbie. Maybe Adam will get that reference, but you guys haven't seen Adam's Family Values. She gives it's a very similar, you know, slideshow that she gives the Adam's family when they are lined up as hostages. If, if you had seen it, I'm sure you would be laughing. We'll take your word for it. Kind of ruined that scene for me. Before we go any further, I think we just need to shout out Frankie Faison as Barney. Yeah, of course. As being the, the only one MVP. in all four movies, like well, he, he was, was in Manhunter also. Yeah, and he does the same age. character. He was my MVP, by the way. And what? He doesn't age. He doesn't. Oh well, then then uh, we'll we'll move on to that LVP MVP. Zach, you can go first. Barney. Bar Barney was my MVP. Thanks for stealing it, Terry. Uh, uh, that's okay. Well, who's your LVP? Uh, it was uh, the director of both this movie and Hannibal, Ridley Scott and Brett Ratner. And Brett Favre for that purpose. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll go next. My LVP is Freddie Lowndes. Just because. Of course. He ruins everything. How come My we, MVP? Did, oh, go ahead. Did, sorry. Did, did no one think about Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, Freddie Lowndes? Also, like Nightcrawler Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, that wouldn't be bad. <clears throat> My my MVP is uh, Lloyd Bauman, played by Ken Leung, because yeah, he is I one hell of a too. forensic analyst, and he like was, he's the one that pulled amazing. the print off of the eyeball. A partial I mean, print, a with partial a, thumbprint, talcum covered print. <laughs> 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 because he took his glove off, that son of a bitch. Yeah, um, yeah, he's the MVP, and he, he's. He's kind of a badass in this too, for a forensic analyst. Todd, uh, my LVP, as I said, is Mark Helfrich. Because screw the ducks, go dogs. Yeah. And my MVP is the uh, co-creator of Prison Break, Brett Ratner, and because he puts all the pieces of this movie together in a very logical, understandable fashion. He does that in Prison Break. He does that here, and uh, I think he's a he was an, he was a really good filmmaker. 
Except for X-Men 3. That that thing was horrible. Yeah. I, but I don't think any that. director could have could have saved that. Yeah. You gave that three and a half stars, right? I think Zach? I did give it three and a half stars, yeah. I remember wow. thoroughly Ebert it. liked it, right? Ebert also <laughs> gave this movie three and a half stars. Well, there you go. All right. Let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. And we're going to start. I think it's my turn to start. So I'm going to start on this one. And I'm quoting. uh, I'm going to quote Red Dragon here. And it's a quote that I found really, really funny. It came like right at the very end. Uh, It was in Hannibal's letter to Will at the end of the movie. And I and it reminded me of something else that was uh, that was published two years later. Um, and so he says in his in that last uh, in that last letter, and be grateful. Our scars have the power to remind us that the past is real. I tear my heart open just to fail. It's Papa Roach. <laughs> I, I I heard that. I'm like, wait, did he just say our scars remind us that the past is real? He did. Like Papa Roach stole that lyric from Hannibal Lecter in Red Dragon. In Red Dragon. So they, somebody remembers this movie. Someone yeah. remember Papa Roach remembers this movie. There's a great Papa Roach reference in On the Count of Three, the movie I talked about earlier. Nice, nice. Yeah, I had I had to I had to say it because it was it was too good. It was too good. All right. Uh let's hear Todd. Uh my quote is uh Hannibal says it. He says, You will not wait. Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, you will not persuade me with the appeals to my intellectual vanity. And I feel like we all feel that on this podcast. <laughs> well played. Well played. Zach? First of all, I really was going with some Buffalo Bill quotes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't find a whole lot. Still multiple MIGs. Yeah. That's always in fashion. Multiple MIGs. Those never get old. <laughs> um let's see um okay i'm just gonna i'm I'm just gonna uh i i actually used this quote the other day the he's not it's from silence of the lambs i think it's clarice says it he's not gonna come after me and then hannibal says the world is more interesting with you in it and i've always liked that line a lot and the world is more interesting with this podcast in it uh well played well done Nicely See done. that really brought it. That yeah. really brought it home. Exactly. There we go. And you pulled that one out of your ass. I did pull it out of my ass. Mm-hmm. I, I was I looking for a quote, quote from Tommy Boyd. I had I I found several quotes from Michael Mann about horses, randomly. Um, that I'm glad I didn't use. <laughs> okay. Well, well, with Michael Mann's horses, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening to our deep dive here. We'll be back at you next week. Make sure you're checking out all the other things that are coming out throughout the week on the Almost Sideways podcast. But uh, until we see you next time, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.